Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We continue our study through the New Testament. Uh, now, we are in the pastoral epistles. It's very important to remember that we are in these letters that Paul has written to pastors, to overseers, ministry leaders. It's very important to make that distinction when Paul writes letters to churches like Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, letters that are written to churches. But when we make these distinctions, these are letters that are written to pastors, to Timothy, to Titus. Now, when we say pastors, these aren't run-of-the-mill pastors. These are people who've been in a very, very tiny bubble of Paul. Remember, when we, if you remember our study in the book of Acts, uh, we see how Paul has this very tiny bubble. He has the large bubble, you know, has the church and uh, saints and believers. And then there's a smaller bubble of ministry leaders, but then there's the tiny bubble, tiny bubble, the next generation of pastoral leadership. Next generation of pastors and elders, ministry leaders. It's very important to make these distinctions. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to those studies, the studies of the churches, you know, studies, uh, Paul's letters to the churches. But then at the same time, uh, make sure you listen to the, uh, uh, the entirety of the pastoral epistles, including the introduction to the pastoral epistles, because when we make those distinctions, it will help you and me together, it will help us understand who is biblically qualified to be pastor. It's not just, you know, who has, you know, went to seminary, who has gone to theology school, who is, you know, who has the pastor parking spot, who has the name tag that says head pastor or co-pastor. No, those are, those are carnal. The Bible, the Word of God, gives us indicators on who is qualified to be pastor. Now, it's not for the pastor to be exalted. It's for saints to know this guy is qualified. It is safe to submit myself to him so that you know this guy is qualified. It is safe to submit myself to him. Now, Sometimes people hear that like, what? I'm not going to submit to a guy. I'm not going to submit no pastor. Now, understand, these biblical qualifiers for pastors, these are men. They're not going to lord over your faith. They're not going to lord over your walk. They're not going to say, hey, you know, you have to submit to me, so wash my car. Hey, you have to submit to me, so, you know, clean the toilets. Hey, you got to submit to me, so, you know, you got to paint the walls and paint the house and redo the roof. And hey, you got to submit to me and do this and do that. No. Biblically qualified pastors, they're not going to lord over your faith. They're going to teach you truth. But then as with everybody, balls in your court. You see, balls in your court. It's very important to make these distinctions. Now, biblically qualified pastors, shepherds, they're shepherding you to paradise. They are shepherding you into a closer and deeper intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. That's what they're called to do. That's what they're tasked to do by the Lord. And that's their goal. That's their mission. That's what they live for. And yes, that's what they will die for. The biblically qualified ones. Now, in the book of Hebrews says, submit to pastors, you know, that we should submit to pastors. But 
that's not a blanket statement like, you know, this guy over here is a pastor. He went to seminary school and I'm going to submit to him. This guy was here over here is a pastor. This lady over here is a pastor. I'm going to submit to her. You see? No, because there are biblically biblical qualifications. Female? Nope. Doesn't work that way. Females can be in ministry, but pastoral and elder ministry? No. Always male. Coverings, always male. You see, Old Testament, New Testament, coverings, male. Look at the covering of Jesus Christ, male. You see, even Esther had a covering, Mordecai. It's very important to make these distinctions. And so if you're listening for the first time, I mean, sometimes, you know, new listeners are like, what in the world? Like, this is hardcore. Well, you know, yes, you know, sometimes we cover subject matter. You know, we go through the Bible, you know, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. But we must make these distinctions. We have to. Because as we get further in the events of the last days, it is prophesied that the church is going to be straight up loco. Straight up crazy, crazy town. And you don't need me to tell you this because you look at the church today and what do you see? Crazy town. You know what that is? That's fulfilled prophecy. That's what that is. It's fulfilled prophecies. When you read the news and you see pastors who are molesting kids, pastors who are having sex like crazy, pastors who are doing drugs like crazy. Yes, it's sad. It breaks my heart. But what you're looking at is fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The church must be crazy town in order for scripture to be fulfilled. You see, which is why when you get into Revelation 2 and 3, what does the Lord say? You know, repent, repent. Seven churches. There's only two churches that are not told to repent. Smyrna and Philadelphia. The others, the majority, Repent, 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 repent. You see? Now, for Titus, who meets the biblical qualifications of pastor, remember, not package one, not package two, not package three. This is full package, the real deal. This isn't run-of-the-mill pastor. This is Titus in the tiny bubble of Paul, and now he's pastor, and he has a job to do. Now, in Crete, remember our study in chapter one, in Crete, things are out of order. Things are just crazy town in Crete. The church is a mess and Titus is going to restore order. Now, I don't say that like, you know, Titus is, Titus is going to restore order. I mean it like Titus is going to restore order. You see? Now, is it by force? Is Titus going to, you know, go with like swords and, 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 you know, all these weapons and be like, hey, you will do this or else you will do this or else. No, he is not going to do that. Because remember, our fight, our battle is spiritual. We don't fight according to the weapons of the flesh, of the carnal nature. Our fight is spiritual. It is supernatural. It's not by force. Remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. And that's Titus. He is clean. He meets meets the biblical qualifications. Just like Paul does, just like Titus does, or uh, Timothy does. You see? Just like Apollos, just like Peter, just like James, just like John. They meet the biblical qualifications. 
Only the clean can clean. And to clean house and restore order, it's not by force. No, it is not by force. But remember in chapter 2, last week in verse 1, speak. Speak. And that's what Titus is going to do. He's Yes, he's going to restore order. But is he going to restore order? Well, it depends on the people. The ball's in the court of the people. Titus is going to enter town and start to speak. Remember, Paul, you know, don't shut up. He's not going to be quiet about certain subject matter. He's not because he's establishing order. And once he speaks, the people have a choice. They can say, I'm with Titus, or they can straight up say, Titus is crazy. Titus has lost his mind. The people choose. He will speak. But remember, there's two parties to this transaction, so to speak. There's a group that can say, you know what? I'm with Titus. Or there's a group that can say, Titus is crazy. You see? But the group that says, you know what? I'm with Titus. That group, their ears are open to him. And that's what's so powerful about submission to a pastor. And I don't mean it like, you know, all oh, the pastor's going to tell me to, you know, I got to wash his car and I'm going to wash his car. All oh, the pastor's going to tell me to, you know, uh, 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 paint his house and I'm going to go paint his house. No, biblically qualified pastors, they don't want to lord over your faith. They do not want to lord over your faith. They go out of their way to not lord over your faith. Understanding that balls in your court. That's what the qualified pastors do. Full package pastors. And then people choose. You see? And so when you understand as a Berean with a noble heart and you understand scriptures and you understand Old Testament, New Testament, and as you understand these things, what happens is that you're going to have more knowledge of the word of God, which is a gift of the spirit, not the greatest gift, but knowledge is a gift of the spirit. Remember the love chapter when, you know, uh, 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 first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. You see, and to submit to Titus, it is safe to do. Just like we say from time to time, if you and I were to go in a time machine in Crete or in the areas that Titus was going to go to, where could we fellowship? You know, say we're Bereans with a noble heart and we search the scriptures and we know, wow, this church is a mess, but we have nowhere to go. We have nowhere to fellowship. The church is out of whack. You know, it's straight up crazy town, just like we read in Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. The works of the flesh inside the church. And just as Paul did to tell the remnant, hey, remnant, separate from the leaven, separate from the carnal nature, separate from these who are uh, practicing and partaking in the works of the flesh. And just as we see Paul do that, now it's Titus's turn. Now it's his turn. You see? And so you and me, if we were in in these areas, in these regions, in these cities where Titus is going to establish order and we know like, oh my goodness, the church is straight up crazy town. There's like works of the flesh like crazy. 
What do we do? What do we do? And then all of a sudden, Titus comes to town. And he starts to speak. Now, for you and me, we could hear his words. And as Bereans with a noble heart, everything he says lines up with the truth of God's word. Everything he says, and we know, wow, he he was with Paul. And we know Paul's not like the average bear. Remember our study in the book of Acts? He's not like the average bear. And he doesn't teach like the average bear. And so his students are not like the average bear. These guys are different. Titus, Timothy, different. And so we hear what Titus says. He says A, B, C. We look at the scriptures. You know what? That lines up with A, B, C. That lines up with what the Bible says. Titus says A, B, C. We look at the Bible. A, B, C. Titus says 1, 2, 3. We look at the Bible. 1, 2, 3. And then, and then we give him our ears. You know what? It is safe to submit to Titus. It is safe to submit to Titus. He teaches sound doctrine he doesn't have five wives. He doesn't have, you know, uh, he's on his fifth marriage and his previous wives are still alive. He doesn't have, you know, uh, irreconcilable differences. He doesn't have kids that are doing drugs and sexually active and his wife is an alcoholic. And, you know, he's not going out to live in parties and doing this and then trying to, you know, he's doing his drugs and he's doing his alcohol. And then he's telling Christians to live holy because that's hypocrisy. No, he's full package. Full package. He meets the qualifications. He's not teaching crazy doctrine. He's not teaching, you know, hey, let's go grave soaking. He's not teaching, let's go ahead and take the mark of the beast. He'll still be saved. He's teaching sound doctrine. And so we know it is safe to submit to Titus. And so, you know, people, you know, say we're in a fellowship that's crazy town. Titus comes to town and then, you know, he goes, you know, it's, 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 it's like nighttime. And then he goes and he's on his way to another town. Think about the murmuring that would happen in the church. You know, you and me were in church and people said, did you hear what Titus said? How dare he say that? Look, God is love and I want to express my love like this and God is love and I want to do this and why wouldn't God want me to have sex like crazy? Why wouldn't God want me to do drugs and crack and alcohol? Why wouldn't the Lord want? Because God is love. And these things make me feel good. God is love. You know what? Titus is crazy. Titus has lost his mind. Look, I'm just going to stay here in this fellowship and Titus is so mean-spirited. You know, God is love and he doesn't have a spirit of love. But then you and me were like, what? What? That's not what the Bible teaches. And so you and me, we separate from the leaven. And we say, I'm with Titus. I'm with Titus. You can be with the defunct Pastors, the defunct elders, if, if, if you want to do that, listen, ball's in our court. Titus spoke. Now it's for us to decide. You decide, you say Titus is crazy. Okay, that's fine. I mean, that's you and me speaking to you know, all these people. Oh, Titus is crazy. Titus is lost of mind. But then you and me, what do we do? We say, okay, we're jumping ship. We're going to listen to Titus. 
Because Titus meets the qualifications. Titus is teaching sound doctrine. He's full package. He's not package one, not package two, not package three. He's straight up full package. And so our ears are open to him. The leaven, their ears start to close off to Titus, which isn't a good thing. When ears close off to sound doctrine and full package, those are assisters, assisters, aids to hearts becoming hard because truth is being rejected. Remember, we want hearts to be softer than the softest jello. But hearts can become as soft as balsa wood, maple wood, oak, pine, or stone. That's not good. You don't want stone heart. That's not good. We want hearts to be as softer than the softest jello. But that's a choice. That's a choice. You know, sometimes I have these conversations with the Calvinists and the Reformed and they say, oh, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, he did. He did. But don't forget, Pharaoh hardened his heart. 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 God hardened his heart. Judgment. How many times did Pharaoh reject the Lord? Not once, not twice, not thrice. And then finally, God steps in. Okay, now we're going stone. You see? We'll put it another way. Uh, Pharaoh goes from balsa to maple to oak to pine to stone. You see? Baal was in his court. Balls in his court. And then judgment. But that same framework, it exists today. It exists today. It's called the deceitfulness of sin. Remember in, 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 in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3? Turn to Hebrews 3 really quick. In Hebrews 3 verse 12, beware brethren to Christians. Believers. People say, oh, Hebrews is written to, you know, the the Jewish believers. Okay. But in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile. Remember. Beware, brethren, in verse 12, Hebrews 3, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Whoa. Whoa. Spoken, you know, written to Christians. Believers. Believers who can depart from the living God through unbelief and an evil heart. What's to mitigate against that? Verse 13. But exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see? Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's moving away from the jello heart. Softer than the softest jello. That's what we want hearts to be. The circumcision. Not of the flesh. Of the heart. That's what we want hearts to be. But through the deceitfulness of sin, just as verse 13 says, a heart can go from jello to balsa to maple to oak to pine to stone. You see? It's... 
That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. It's very important to make these distinctions and make these, uh, you know, to make these determinations for ourselves, yes, but then also to understand for the body of Christ. And so you and me were in, you know, we hear Titus and, you know, it's, it's nighttime and Titus is preparing to go to the next town. And people are murmuring, they're murmuring and complaining. Can you believe what Titus said? Can you believe? I can't believe Titus said that. I can't believe, look, I'm having sex like crazy. And he's going to tell me that I can't. He's going to tell me that's unholy. He's going to tell me that's not good. He's going to tell me that's sin. You know, I'm doing my drugs like crazy. I'm doing my alcohol like crazy. And Titus is going to say something against that. He's so mean-spirited because God is love. Titus is crazy. He's lost his mind. But then you and me, we look at each other and, what? I'm with Titus. I'm with Titus. I look at you. I'm with Titus. You look at me. You know what? Me too. I'm with Titus. And so what do we do? We jump ship. We jump ship. Probably a little home fellowship. A little tiny church. You see? It's a remnant. Just like we see in Corinthians. I mean, if you count 100% of the population of the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we got 100%. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 100%. Chapter 3, 100%. Chapter 4, 100%. Chapter 5, no longer 100%. No longer 100%. Maybe it's 20% in chapter 6. Maybe it's 30% in chapter 6. You see, we have to make these distinctions. No longer 100%. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 100%. Chapter 5, Separation. Chapter 6, 30%, 20%, 10%. Could be 60%. Could be 70%. Could be. But it's not the 100% that we see in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4. Because chapter 5 on, chapter 5 is separation. Chapter 6 on, that's the remnant. Those are people who says, you know what? I'm with Paul. I'm no longer with the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. I'm jumping ship. I'm with Paul. And that's the remnant. You see? And that's the exact same framework that Titus is operating in. We say, you know, he's going to go clean house. It's not he's going to clean house and regulate in a carnal sense. But he is going to clean house. Only the clean can clean. And so you and me, you know, everybody says, oh, Titus is crazy. Titus is crazy. What do we do? Say it. Home, home fellowship. Home fellowship. I'm of the strong belief that the home fellowship is the model for the last days church. Because prophetically speaking, in the last days, judgment comes first to the church. Judgment comes first to the church. Home fellowships. The age of the megachurch, over. I mean, it should have never been there to begin with, but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. It should have never been there. 
And that's what we see here in verse 1. These are those who have opened their ears to Titus. You see? And, you know, they've been under, just like we see in Corinthians, exactly the same way that we see in Corinthians. You know, we see how Paul uh, cleaned house in Corinth. Now, don't forget Chloe. We can never, ever forget Chloe. Because she was the one in those in her household, home fellowship, they alerted Paul. You see? And so don't forget how Chloe cleaned house too. And praise be to the Lord that we have that formula, that framework. Because the Lord teaches us, the Lord, the Lord shows us in these examples. In both Paul and Chloe. And now we have the example that... That the framework in this example of Paul and what he did in Corinth, that's what Titus is going to do. Paul did it in Corinth and now he's just, he's saying, remind them in verse 1. Now these are those with open ears. Remember, he says, you know, speak. And ch- chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, Paul says, you know, go into Crete, you know, establish order, set, establish uh, elders, set, set, uh, uh, put, make, uh, put order in place, and set up uh, elders. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, you know, speak, speak on these things. And then we get into chapter 3, and these are the ones like you and me, like that example. We say, okay, you know, the, the people want to be crazy. The church wants to be crazy town. Okay, that's nice. They made their choice. Ball's in their court. But as for you and me, we're with Titus. Full package. We're with Titus. Our ears are open to Titus. Now, what does Titus have to say? Now we get into verse 1. And this is Paul. His letter to Titus. Titus, this is what you do. Remind them, and I love this, in the Greek, to put in their mind. I love this so much. To put it in their mind. Now, now that's good when we have full package pastor. It's also very dangerous to put in their mind when the full package is non-existent. You see? Because with Titus, it's very good. When he, when he says remind them, which in the Greek is to put in their mind. It's very good, very holy, very beneficial when it's Titus, when it's Paul, when it's Timothy. But when it's Alexander, when it's Hymenaeus, very dangerous. That's why you and me, we must understand formula. The biblical formula for pastor. For overseer. Because when we see this guy is qualified. Not a novice. Sound doctrine. Not female. Not crazy. Remember, now you have family that is open for for inspection, so to speak. Is he on wife number two, three, four, or five? Does he have wife and concubines on the side? What is his wife? Is she crazy? Is she alcoholic? Is she on drugs? And then the kids, everything is open. Because if a man is going to be overseer of the church, his house better be in order. His house, now not just his house, like, okay, you know, uh, everything in its proper place. I'm talking about his household. You consider his house like a little church. 
What is the what is the conduct? Sometimes you see the PKs, the pastor's kids. They're crazy. They're the craziest. Every they get away with everything. They go, oh, it's a PK, PK, the pastor's kid, pastor's kid. They're the ones that are doing the sex, drugs, and alcohol. You know what? When you see that, you know that the pastor is biblically, biblically disqualified. He disqualifies himself. You see? He can't have his house in order and those in his house in order. And you expect him to have the church in order? That's not happening. That's not happening. You see? So to have our ears open, our hearts open, our mind open to Titus, very good, very holy, very beneficial, very beautiful. But to have our ears and hearts and minds open to Hymenaeus and Alexander, we cannot do. To submit to Titus, good. Hymenaeus, bad. Timothy, good. Alexander, bad. You see? And so we see here in verse 1, remind them to be, so this is the remnant now. Just like that example we gave you and me, you know, where were Titus? These guys, they can say whatever they want, but where were Titus? We have, we're Bereans with noble hearts and he's teaching us. He's training us. He's equipping us. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. This is as government, you know, in, in, in terms of government, the chiefs and the potentates. Just like we see in Romans 13, submission to authority, submission to government. But understand, much, much, much wisdom is required. Much wisdom is required. Do you remember how... <clears throat> You know, like we give these examples of, you know, a political leadership. Now, I teach from America. If the president president of the United States, if he summoned me to the White House, hey, you know, we, we need you over here in the White House. I want to talk to you. We, we have these initiatives and we want to talk to you about, you know, X, Y, Z and one, two, three. I would go. And, you know, I'd be presentable, like, you know, shave and brush my teeth, you know, and I'd say, Mr. President, you know, I, you know, hello, Mr. President, you know, I would, I would, I would respect the office, respect his authority. Yes, Mr. President, how you doing, Mr. President? Nice to meet you, Mr. President. Full respect. Be presentable. I wouldn't be like a schmuck, you know. And before, you know, I'd shave, you know, brush my teeth, and you know, comb my hair, and be presentable. You know, just, I respect the office. I respect the authority. But then if he starts to speak and says, well, you know, we have this initiative and, you know, we want you to, uh, uh, we want you to advocate for this, uh, mark that we're going to put in people's hands and foreheads. And we want you to advocate for this and start teaching about this. Okay. You know, Mr. President, I'm sorry. I cannot do that. I cannot do that, Mr. President, because I'm a Christian and you know, God is my ultimate authority. You know, uh, above anything is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in the last days, there's going to be the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast system in the hand or forehead. So I know you have these initiatives for this, but I can't do that. I can't teach that. You see? And in this framework, in this example, there's respect for the office. 
But then at the same time, it's the respect for the authority. But then we have these overarching uh, uh, parameters of holiness where it's like, okay, look, I, I respect, I respect the authority. I respect the office, but this, that's not happening. You see, because the ultimate authority is Jesus Christ and the word of God. Much wisdom is required. Much, much wisdom is required. You see? It's very important to make these distinctions and have this understanding, especially, especially in the days in which we live and we see the rise of the Antichrist spirit, which will ultimately lead to the ushering in of the Antichrist himself, which is in the power of Satan and lying wonders. The age of deception and governments given over to these Antichrist agenda. Very, very important for us to be wise. You see, I respect government. I have full respect. Well, maybe I shouldn't say full respect. But I do respect the government. I mean, you know, look at like local governments and police and firefighters. I mean, you know, they're there. You witness a crime. What do you do? You call the police. You know, there's some, some tough characters out there. You call the police and they take care of them. There's a fire. You call the fire department and the firefighters, they come out and they do this. Governments have a. There is a rule of law and they do establish order for communities, cities, states, countries. But, but, what happens when they're opposed to God? What happens when they're opposed to God and in the spirit of Antichrist, all leading up to the Antichrist himself and the revealing of Antichrist? We're the bad guys. Christians become the bad guys. Now, certain things become illegal for Christians. For Christians in the last days, saints in the last days, it's not just wisdom that's required. Intimacy as you've never had before. Intimacy with the Lord. Skill in the word of God, cunning in the word of God, and oil for your lamps. It's, it's a requirement for the last days. It's a requirement at all times, but, you know, even more so in the last days. You see? Now, this letter was written around 66 AD. In 66 AD, and, and not just at 66 AD, in other times in the Roman Empire, there were revolts against the Roman Empire. Multiple revolts that both Jew and Christian participated in. Revolts against government and governing authorities. And Christians participated in these revolts against, against government. And remember, the church in 66 AD, Paul is saying to Titus, restore order. The church is behaving in a carnal manner. Christians are fighting according to the flesh. We walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. 
when it's according to the flesh, flesh begets the flesh, begets the flesh, and it gets worse and worse, and all of a sudden, hey, things are out of order. Things are out of whack. We got to put things back in order. You see? And so you see in verse 1, there's parallels to, just like in Romans 13, submission to government. And just like the example we gave, you know, when, you know, the president, you know, summons into the White House, hey, we, we have this initiative, we want, okay, you know, I'm going to shave, I'm going to brush my teeth, I'm going to comb my hair, I'm going to suit up, a tie, ah, maybe a tie, maybe not a tie, but I'd be presentable. I mean, I'm, I am going to the highest office of the land and I teach from America. Hello, Mr. President, you know. Yes, Mr. President. No, Mr. President. How you doing, Mr. President? Nice to meet you, Mr. President. It's a beautiful day, Mr. President. I hope you're, I hope you're feeling better, Mr. President. I hope you're doing okay, Mr. President. I pray for you, Mr. President. Very respectful. But then he says, you know what? We want you to do this. We want you to do that. We want you to advocate for the mark of the beast. Put it on their hand or forehead. Mr. President, I'm sorry. I cannot do that. Oh, wait, wait a second. Listen, you know, I mean, we, we, we came here with the niceties. And if you don't want to do that, you know, that's your choice. But, you know, we're going to throw you in prison if you don't do that. So I want to play hardball. Mr. President, I understand. I cannot do that. And I will not do that. And Mr. President, if that means I go to, pre to prison, Mr. President, so be it. Oh, but you don't understand, you know, listen, in, in prison, there's some rough characters in there. You can, you can lose your head. Now, what he doesn't understand is that, you know, in this example, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Because if I lose my head, that's the fulfillment of prophecy. That's like, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not getting thrown in prison because I committed murder. I'm not getting thrown in prison because, you know, of a crime. You know, I'm getting thrown in prison for righteousness sake. And he, he's like, you know, you know, fear tactics. You know, well, listen, if you don't do this, we're going to throw you in prison. And, you know, some rough characters there and you can you're going to get beat up and you might lose your head. And there's a, a large chance that you're going to lose your head, especially if you start speaking about Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I start to smile. I, like, I'm thinking in my mind, you mean that I can be counted worthy? I could be, possibly could be counted worthy if I enter that environment to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, I'm just like full of joy. Mr. President, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to teach. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. I will not teach that because it's not in the Bible. Call this, you know, call Mac. The study Bible guy, he'll do it. He does it already. He'll do it. But I serve the Lord. You see? That's what we see here. Submission to authorities. But understand, there are overarching parameters to our submission to authorities because we have a greater authority. In verse 1, to be subject to rulers and authorities, 
to obey, to be ready for every good work. To be ready and prepared is how it translates for every good work. Remember, Christians, saints, we're counterculture. We're counterculture. In our culture, you know, I teach from America. We have political divisions. We have Democrats, Republicans. There's lesbians. There's homosexuals. There's male. There's female. There's young. There's old. There's all kinds of different, you know, sectors of society, cultural differences. There's all kinds of, you know, there, it's, it's innumerable. There's all kinds of different, you know, persuasions out there. And in the last days, under the power of Satan, you and me, we must be wise, skillful, cunning, plenty of oil, which is a requirement, but also fishers of men. Fishers of men and women, young, old, it doesn't matter. These are good works. These are good works. Remember how last week, you know, there's the example of, you know, when the question was posed, can you imagine a church like this? We get the peculiar people. Like, it's weird. You look at a church, you got, you know, like you got the nerds, you got the popular, you got the computer people, you got the athletic people, you have business people, you have rich people, you have poor people, you have, you know, uh, 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 all kind, young, old, you know, uh, white, black, all kinds of, you know, and every color in between. You have, you know, chubby people, skinny people, really big people, really small people. You have everything. People who were former whatever, you know, former lesbian, former homosexual, former drunkard, former alcoholic, former strippers. And, you know, people who have never experienced those things because they were raised and they, they, they were born in the, you know, in, in, with, you know, a, a, a mom and dad who taught them well. And, you know, they've never experienced those things and they, they don't want to experience those things. But look at this peculiar, beautiful, beautiful people from all sectors of culture. The peculiar people, yes. The commonality is not America. The commonality is not politics. The commonality is not jobs. The commonality is Jesus Christ. Family. Koinonia. Episunagage. Hagios. Ecclesia. The commonality is Jesus Christ. And that's good works. A lot of Christians today are fighting according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. Now, I don't blame the Christians. I don't blame the saints. I blame the shepherds. I blame the pastors. And yes, there's an aspect of, you know, making a stand for our rights and a stand for our rights and this and that. And I get it. You know, in America, we do have those you know, we do have those freedoms and luxuries and certain things that are afforded to us. But you look at Paul. There were a lot of things afforded to him as a Roman. He's Jewish, but he's a Roman citizen. 
a lot of freedoms and flexibilities that enabled him to participate and partake of certain things as a Roman citizen. And what did he do? He denied it. He denied it. You say, but he stood up for his rights. Yeah, he did. He appealed to Caesar and he did he did he did stand up for his rights. But why did he stand up for his rights? It was to protect the saints. And when he did stand up for his rights, what did it cost him? You see? He's in prison. This is a prison letter. He was in jail. Multiple times. People think, oh, yeah, I'm going to stand up for my rights. I'm going to stand up for my rights so that I can have a better life. Paul did it. Paul did it. Okay, he did stand up for his rights. He did utilize the rights afforded him as a Roman citizen. But it cost him his life. Don't forget. It cost him his life. Our fight is not according to the flesh. I know people who are lesbians and homosexuals and Satanists and even like homosexual Satanists, you know, double whammy. And they straight up tell me, I hate Christians. I cannot stand Christians. But I'll talk with you. You're different. You see? And I don't say that to boast and be like, oh, look, you know, I don't say that to boast in any way, shape or form. But I do say it to show you as an example. That, you know, when I have these conversations with, you know, with these, these homosexuals, lesbians and the Satanists, sometimes a double whammy, sometimes it's a triple whammy. And they straight up tell me I want nothing to do with Christians and I hate Christians. But you know what? I'll have a conversation with you. You're different. I like you. I don't say that. Okay, cool. You know, let's go. Let's go do the. Let's go worship Satan. You know, let's go do this. You know, this stuff of the world. No, I like these doors to be open so that I can, you know, drop little nuggets, drop little nuggets to win them to Christ, to win their soul to Christ. You see. It's not, you know, to partake, you know, it's not like, you know, when Paul says I've become all things to all men so that I can win them to Christ. He doesn't say, you know, I've become all things to all men so that I can party with them. So I go out and, you know, have a good time with them. No, it's to win them to Christ. That's the model. That's the framework. Now, it's very true that we're living in a time where wickedness abounds wickedness abounds it's like it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse but there's still fish to be found there's still fish to be found i had a conversation recently with the satanist and he had never known the things that we were talking about all the things that I mentioned, and you know, he was asking question upon question. He had never known these things. And to see somebody who's like committed to Satan, he hates God. But in the course of this conversation, 
he realizes that the God that he hates is not the God of the Bible. His hatred towards God was misdirected by things that he learned from false doctrine. You see? Because false doctrine presented a false God. And he hated that God. I mean, it's kind of weird when a Christian agrees with the Satanist in that regard. He's like, oh, I hate God. I hate God. Tell me about your God. Well, God does this and God says that. And God's okay. You say that's God, lowercase g, and I hate that God too. But that's not the God of the Bible. I mean, it takes a Satanist and they kind of like, you know, fall off their chair. Like, what? You're a Christian and you agree with me? Yes. In that regard, I agree with you. Because the God that you describe is not the God of the Bible. Let me tell you about the God of the Bible. You see? Remember in chapter 1 in Titus when he says the prophets, their own prophets, you know, they speak evil of the Cretans. They're all they're evil, they're lazy, they're liars. But that's where the fish are. That's where the fish are. Now, there might be an evil guy, a lazy guy, a liar. There might be. But there might also be fish. You see? And don't forget that, you know, you read the book of Acts. If you remember our study in the book of Acts, there were Christians, saints, who were in, in certain sectors of society that were uh, against Christians. Now, that's not to say, like, you know, go, you know, go and you know, work for the Antichrist. No. But the Lord has his people. Everywhere. Everywhere. The Lord has his people everywhere. You might you might work at a convenience store, you know, and your boss might be a hardcore Satanist. But in the course of time, you know, exercising wisdom and skill and cunning with oil in your lamp, what happens is in the course of time, the, the owner who's a hardcore Satanist, all of a sudden, he you see him change. Where his heart is like pine. It's not stone. It's pine. It's hard. It's like hard as pine. The next step is stone. But then all of a sudden you see his heart from pine to oak to maple. And then all of a sudden his heart is maple. And then boom. And you know, you go in and you attack in the spirit. You know, you straight up, you know, drop bombs in the spirit. Rescue as through fire. And you tell him all about Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden he says, you know what? I'm done with Satan. I want to, I want Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Boom. Jello heart. You see? But we must be equipped. We must be equipped because to engage in that spiritual battle for that soul and be unequipped, very dangerous. Very dangerous for you. Very dangerous for the novice. I don't mean for you, for you, but I mean for the novice in this example. 
Very dangerous for the novice. But for the mature, for the equipped, not even for the mature, for the deadly, it's very dangerous for the guy. Very dangerous for the demons in the guy. You see? And that's what Paul is saying, you know, to restore order. Titus, go and restore order because things are crazy in Crete. And go in these regions and establish order. He says in verse 1, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities. You know, the, the government. Remember, to be subject to the rulers and authorities, don't forget, this is the government and authorities of Rome. You see? How is that possible? To be in submission to the government that has Paul in prison? The government that killed Jesus? The government that is persecuting Christians? And to be, to be subject to these rulers and these authorities that are opposed to the things of the Lord? How was that possible? Well, with much wisdom. Just like the example we gave. Yes, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. President. You want me to do this? What's this, Mr. President? I'm sorry, Mr. President. That's not happening. Okay, then. Now you're going to die. Okay, Mr. President. But before you do, before you sentence me to prison, Mr. President, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. You see? Secret services around him. It's not just for the president, guys. It's for you too. You see? And the staffers are nearby. It's not just for the president. It's not just for the Secret Service. It's for you too, staffers. You see? A fisher of men. A winner of souls redeeming the times. But if you go in there, you know, Mr. President, how dare you want me to do this? No, I hate you. All these things. Turn his desk over, all these things. Well, yeah, I'm going to go to prison. But you know why I'm going to prison? Not for the name of Jesus Christ. It's because I posed a threat. According to the flesh. That's why I'm going to prison. We must make these distinctions between flesh and spirit. You see? And we see in verse 1, to obey, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. Remember? All oh, these, the, the Cretans, you know, they're always evil. They're all evil. They're all lazy. They're all liars. They're all predestined for hell. They're all evil. What's the point of going to Crete? What's the point of sending evangelists and fishers of men to Crete? They're all evil. They're all lazy. They're all liars. Look, they're predestined to hell. What's the point? What does the Bible say? What does Paul say, inspired of the Spirit? Who's, he's Paul. But remember, he says, it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. He's not like the average bear. And he says, speak evil of no one. 
I meant, if you, my beautiful friend, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, if you were to meet me 25 years ago, you would hate me. I guarantee you. Well, I can't guarantee, but I almost guarantee. I want to guarantee, but there might be like 1% or 2%. I almost guarantee that 25, if you, if you today were to meet who I was 25 years ago, you would think I was the most grotesque human being on the planet. And you'd be right. Because of the works of my flesh. But would it have been right to speak evil? Oh, look, he's predestined to hell. He's evil. He's a liar. He does all these things. Oh, yeah. Satan's got him. There's no hope. You see? And yet here we are today, you and me. Speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, he says in verse 2. Be peaceable, which is not a brawler according to the flesh. To be peaceable, to be gentle or meek. Now, you look at the peaceability and gentleness and meekness as weapons. I meant when a Satanist, when a Satanist says to me, I hate Christians, I want nothing to do with Christians, but you're different. I'll talk to you. Now you see how peaceability, gentleness, and meekness are weapons? You have a Satanist, homosexual Satanist, who's closed off to anybody that mentions the name of Jesus Christ. But yet, he's open. When he tells me, I want nothing to do with these people, I want nothing to do with the church and Christians, and, you know, I'll cuss this guy out, and I'll cuss that, that guy out, I'll cuss this lady out, and I'll cuss them out, and they're afraid of me, they're afraid of me, and you know what, if, if it has to go to the next level, I'll do that. But you? Now, I do not say that boastfully, but I only say it to show you that peaceability, gentleness, and meekness are weapons. Very capable weapons. Because you have a homosexual Satanist who's closed off, but yet there's an open door. Peaceability and gentleness and meekness are weapons. You don't fight according to the flesh. You see? And I pray for this particular individual. That in the course of time, one day, today I call him friend. Tomorrow I want to call him my brother. But the ball's in his court. He has a choice to make. You see, he's closed off to a lot of different people. But to me, by God's grace and by his mercy, there's an open door 
for this particular individual's soul. You see? Peaceability, gentleness, meekness, very capable weapons in the arsenal of the saint, in the arsenal of the Christian. Just like the example we gave at the, at the White House. You know, I teach from America, but in the, in the seat of authority of the United States of America. The president's speech, and I'm going to be, you know, I'll brush my teeth, I'll, you know, shave, I'll comb my hair, I'll suit up, a nice little suit on. You know, not a little suit like, you know, tight or anything, but a nice suit on, you know. I might even wear a tie. I might wear a tie. I don't know. I'll speak respectably, Mr. President, Mr. President, you know. Yes, Mr. President. How you doing, Mr. President? Nice to meet you, Mr. President. I'll shake his hand. Hello, Mr. President. But then he starts to say, we want you to start teaching to take people to take the mark of the beast so they'll, you know, take, take the mark of the beast so they can advance this technology. We want to, you know, have this, you know, this uh, 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 electronic identification and, you know, bioengineer this and, okay, we want, we're going to implement this and, you know, put this, you know, thing on your head and your forehead and your hand and we want you to, also, you know what, Mr. President, you got the wrong guy. Call, call, call Mac with the study Bible. He'll, he'll, he's all about it. Call him. He'll do it. He does it already. But as for me, no. I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Who has a son named Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High. And I serve him. Mr. President, I'm sorry. I cannot do that. You see, that's... Peaceability, gentleness, and meekness. But, you know, he says, we want to implement, we have this program and we're going to implement this. And all of a sudden I start turning the tables over, throwing the chair. No way. How dare you? You know, I'm a Christian and I'm never going to do that. You know what? I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be arrested. Why? Because I'm a carnal threat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a brawler. You see? But, when you start to see peaceability, gentleness, and meekness as a weapon, praise be to the Lord. Remember, things are out of whack. The church is out of whack. Now, for a church to be out of whack, that means they're walking according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. Remember, in this example, I shouldn't say in this example, but what Titus is doing, what we said earlier, remember how you and me were in, were in Crete and, you know, people start to say, oh, Titus is crazy. Titus has lost his mind. But as a remnant, you and me, we say, you know what? We're with Titus. We're with Titus. Now, the ones who say Titus is crazy, their conduct is going to continue to get worse and worse because the flesh begets the flesh begets the flesh. They're the leaven. Now, as leaven, there are some people where the flesh is going to get worse and worse and worse, or they can at some point in time realize, you know what? I'm in the wrong. I repent. Just like we see in Corinth. In Second Corinthians, you know, bring that person back to Christ. Bring that person back into the church. Welcome that person back in the church. You see? There's the blueprints we have. The Lord wants us to operate in this manner according to His Word. 
And so you and me, we say we're with Titus. Now, we say we're with Titus and we've been infected, so to speak, because uh, we've been under the teachings of the defunct. We've been exposed to the carnal nature a little too much. And when there's exposure to the carnal nature, then we are... We have aspects of the carnal nature which are evident more than the things of the spirit. There's a high propensity for that to be evident. And don't forget, verse 1, remind them. Put it in their mind. Now, you and me, our ears are open to Titus. And so Titus speaks, you know, you, you and me, we might have had grudges, you know, oh, the, the church gathered and they went to protest over here. And we were in that protest. We were in the first one. We were in the second one. We were in the third one. And oh my goodness, I can't stand the Roman government. I hate the Roman government. And then we give Titus our ears. And he says, hey, be subject to the Romans. Be subject to the rulers and authorities. Now, that's like, that's a big woe to us. Like, whoa. Be subject to the Romans, they killed Jesus. Be subject to the Romans, they got Paul in prison. Be subject to them. And then we learn about wisdom. Yes, be subject to them. I mean, when the Roman, what would happen in the early church in those, this is 66 AD. This is very dangerous to be a Christian at this time. Very, very dangerous. You know, the Romans, you, you go get your groceries. You go you go walk across town to get your groceries. And then there's a, a cadre of Roman soldiers there. They drag you in the alley, put a sword to your neck. Who is Lord? Who is Lord? They ask you, who is Lord? You say, Caesar is Lord. Okay, you're free to go. Caesar is Lord, you're free to go. Go get your groceries, go back home, you know, have a nice dinner, this and that. But the sad part is that you denied Jesus Christ. You see? They put a sword to your neck. Okay, who is Lord? And you say, Jesus is Lord. Now, several things happen at that point. You say, Jesus is Lord, and they can just push that sword right in your neck. Boom, say goodnight. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what they could do. Or they could say, you know what? We're going to put you in the games. You're arrested. You're under arrest. And we're going to put you in the games. Where for sport and for entertainment, they would put you in an arena with animals, with bears and lions. And, you know, for sport, watch the lions tear you apart. Watch the bears rip you apart and eat you. And if you're female, I don't want to get graphic, but they would do very terrible things sexually. You see? And Titus is saying, be subject to the rulers and authorities. What? It seems not just counterintuitive. It just sounds like, what? Be subject to the Romans? Much wisdom is required. You see? 
He doesn't say, okay, you're going to go get your groceries and the Roman soldiers, cadre of Roman soldiers come in, you know, they, they drag you in an alley and he doesn't say, you know, turn in, you know, the ninja mode, go into ninja mode and, you know, just slash them all, kill them all. They want to kill you, kill them all. Rip their heads off, rip their faces off and just, you know, kill them all. He doesn't say that. Remember, we under, got to understand the rules of engagement according to the covenants. Now, Old Testament, Old Covenant, you know, like we're talking, you know, fight according to the flesh. But we're not under the Old Covenant. We are under the New Covenant in the blood of the fulfillment of the law. You see? And so we see here in verse 2. To be peaceable, gentle, showing humility or meekness to all men. Humility and meekness to all men. Not just to those you like. Not just the likable. To everybody. Meekness. I meant for the homosexual Satanists. Lesbians. Satanists. Homosexuals. And they tell me, I hate all these Christians. I hate this. But you, you're different. Now you start to see these fruits of the Spirit of the Lord as weaponry in the arsenal of the Christian. You see? Meekness, humility. That's... That's how the Lord works. Look at the meekness and humility of our Lord himself, who led by example, our ultimate example. I mean, when you read the book of Acts, you'd see like Paul. He would fight like crazy according to the Spirit. Demons would, you know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? That's what the demon says. Jesus I know and Paul I know. You know what I mean? He... he that demon didn't mention any other name. He mentioned Jesus and Paul. I know them. But you guys, who in the world are you guys? That's what the demon says. You see? And when you read the book of Acts, you see Paul fight like crazy, the good fight, according to the Spirit. But then you see him get beaten up and left for dead. And it's like, wow, he's such a warrior. But then like... He got beat up. Wow, he's such a warrior, but they left him for dead. Wow, he's such a warrior, but he's in jail again and again and again. Why? Because he doesn't fight according to the flesh. He doesn't win souls for Jesus and then, you know, people pose a threat to him and then he, you know, busts out a carnal sword, like a literal sword and says, okay, you know, you guys are dead. He doesn't say, hey, put up your dukes. You know, hey, we're going to stone you. Okay, put up your dukes. I'm going to stone you back. And if I can't stone you, then, you know, hello, Mr. Fist. He doesn't say that. He doesn't operate in that capacity because he understands the rules of engagement of the covenants. And don't forget, he operated in the rules of engagement of the former covenant, the old covenant, in which is found death. See? I mean, 
when you, you read Acts, you're like, wow, Paul is such a warrior. He's such a fighter. And he's like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. The demon says, Jesus I know and Paul I know. Like, whoa, he's a threat in the demonic realm. He's a threat. It's dangerous for the demons. But then they beat him up and he takes it. They throw him in jail and he takes it. See, he doesn't fight according to the flesh. He's When Paul is saying to Titus, for the saints to behave in this manner, for Titus to remind them, put it in their mind, to remind them to behave like this, Titus does it himself. Paul does it himself. They lead by example. They're not hypocrites. I mean, proof is in the pudding. Look at the hands and the feet. Proof is in the pudding. You look at the fruit. You see? And remember, this is for the remnant that says, you know what? I'm with Titus. I'm with Titus. In that example we gave you and me. We participated in a in a, a rally, an anti-Roman rally, rally number one, you know, with our pickets, our signs, you know, hey, you know, hey, get off my back, get off my back. We got our picket signs, you know, we're throwing rocks at the Roman soldiers. Hey, you know, we're Christians, get off our backs, we're Christians, and oh, you know, we, we have our rights, and you know, we're Christians, get out of here. And then all of a sudden be subject to the rulers and authorities. Oh my goodness. You see? We have to almost like relearn the ways of the spirit. To obey. Wow, the, the Roman soldiers say, hey, you know, disperse, disperse. And so now it's like, okay, I'm not going to go pick it anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disperse. I'm not going to pick it anymore. See, there's that aspect of obedience. They say disperse, disperse, and okay, we disperse. And then, you know, third day, fifth day, sixth day, they keep saying disperse, and then boom, tenth day, now they say, okay, we're done playing games, now everybody's under arrest, you're all going to the games and all these things, and but you and me? Because of the fruit of the Spirit and exemplifying these things, you and me, now we're safe. You see, there's that aspect of obedience. Ultimately, the ultimate authority is the Word of God. But through wisdom, how the Lord works. And to be ready for every good work. I mean... Roman soldiers became Christians. Don't forget that. The early church had Roman soldiers. I mean, the early church had Paul, for crying out loud. The early church had Paul, who would beat and stone and have Christians dragged away to prison. Christians killed. And now look, he's a shepherd. You see? 
Oh, Paul's so evil. Paul's so evil. Or, you know, pre-Paul. Saul, Saul, he's so evil. Look, he's beating Christians. He's having Christians arrested and killed. Yeah, he did. He's so evil. He's so evil. He's predestined to hell. Verse 2 says, speak evil of no one. You see? There's hope. Never lose hope. Oh, but God made, God made Paul a Christian. God made Paul a Christian. That's what the Calvinists say and the Reformed theory people say. But that's not what the Bible says. Is it hard to kick against the goads? You say that to a Pharisee, he knows exactly what's being said. When you know the Bible. Balls in Paul's court to make a choice. You see, speak evil of no one. In verse 3, for we ourselves, remember Paul's letter to Titus, for we ourselves, and you know, in verse 1, remind them, just like example, you and me, we, we're with Titus, we're with Titus. We ourselves, Paul says. So now you have Paul, Titus, and us, you and me, we've lent our ears to Titus. I'm with Titus. I look at you, I say, I'm with Titus. You look at me and you say, you know what? Me too, I'm with Titus. So you and me, we're with Titus. And Titus is with Paul. Paul is with the Lord. All of us, we're with the Lord. In verse 3, we ourselves were also once foolish. Look at Paul when he was foolish. You know, a, a Pharisee, a Pharisee's. Of the stock of Benjamin. And Paul says, We ourselves were also, we were also once foolish, disobedient, which translates as unpersuadable, rebellious, and perverse. Paul's saying, That was us. That was us. And Titus is, you know, reminding us of these truths and I look at you, you look at me, you're like, you know what? That was me too. I look at you, you look at me, that was me too. And we were pretty messed up before Christ. And praise be to the Lord because we're not that way anymore. We're not foolish anymore. Is it because we're awesome? No, it's the grace and mercy of our Lord. It's the work of the Spirit. When you and me, when we yield to the Spirit and yield to the Word of God. You see? Deceived, he says in verse 3, serving various lusts or slaves to various lusts and perversions is how it translates. I look at you, you look at me, yep, that was us, all right. And pleasures, he says, sensual delights. Remember, slaves, slaves. Living in malice or living in malice or depravity and envy, jealousy, hateful and hating one another, detesting one another. And Paul is saying, like in verse three, for we ourselves, that was us. That was us. Emphasis on was. Do you remember? It just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens. How we ended our study on Wednesday in our study in the Old Testament in Joshua. And, you know, to be under tribute, to be slaves. 
You see? What about you and me when we were slaves to sin? When we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. What about you and me when we were slaves to sin? You see? Emphasis on were, past tense, slaves to sin. It just so happens we study this exact same thing on Wednesday, the Old Testament example. You see? In verse 4, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared or was made known, not in verse 5, not by the works of righteousness which we have done. See, in our B.C. days before Christ, what righteousness was done? I mean, I told you 25 years ago, if you knew me, you would hate me. You would want nothing to do with me. What righteousness did I do? Nothing. I didn't know. What righteousness did you do before you came to Christ? What righteousness did you know? You didn't know righteousness. You didn't know about Jesus. You might have heard his name. You might have had an idea of who he was based on, you know, what Christians say or what, you know, what you picked up along the way. But the Jesus, according to the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, the depths of intimacy with him and in him, you didn't have it in your BC days. Paul didn't have it in his BC days. We didn't have that in our BC days. You see? And we see in verse 5, it's not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. According to his mercy. Now, Calvinist and Reformed theology, you know, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. That's a very terrible interpretation of passages in the book of Romans. Because it's very true that God has mercy on whom he has mercy, but there's a formula for mercy. It is written. It is also written to those who love me and obey me. That's the formula for God's mercy. You see? Because a lot of Calvinists and Reformed theory people, oh, God has mercy on whom he has mercy because it is written, you know, Esau I loved and uh, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. It is written, Romans 8, Romans 9, they quote it, you know, till they're blue in the face. But don't forget if you're Calvinist Reformed, it is also written. There is a formula for God's mercy to those who love me and obey me. But Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Yeah, Jacob made his choice. Esau made his choice. A profane fornicator was Esau. If you're Calvinist and Reformed, I love you, but listen to our study through Romans. A lot of resources at thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. A lot of resources for you. If you're Calvinist or Reformed, go and listen to those studies. It's laid out there. It's according to the mercy 
of the Lord. He saved us, he says in verse 5. Now, how does that happen? Through the washing or the bathing or the baptism of regeneration. Translates as renovation and restoration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. Remember, this is Paul writing to Titus, one-on-one letter, full package. And this reminder in verse 3, which is, you know, Paul, Titus, and those who give Titus their ears. That's you and me in this example. You remember, you and me were in, in, in Crete. And things are crazy, but we say, you know what? We're with Titus. That's the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified or rendered innocent by his grace. By his grace. Now, the Calvinist and Reformed person says grace is irresistible. It's irresistible. But look around. Grace is resistible. Grace is resistible. Don't forget what we looked at in Hebrews 3. The deceitfulness of sin. How hearts move closer to being hard. And the Calvinists and the Reform says, oh, grace is irresistible. Grace is irresistible. They confuse grace. They conflate and confuse grace with the Calvinists and the Augustinians. Because dunamis is not found in grace. You see? How the Catholic explains grace is unbiblical when you're talking with a catholic and how they speak of grace it's not what the bible says is grace they speak of grace as like a a force a power but by might by power no by my spirit says the lord do not miss And they say, grace is irresistible, grace is irresistible, but look around. Grace is absolutely resistible. Look at the fruit. Oh, they're predestined to hell. Look at the church. Oh, they're not really saved. You see, that's what the Calvinist says. They they, They were never really saved. They, were, they went to church, but they were never really saved. They were never saved to begin with. They willfully forget that names can be blotted out from the book of life. Names can go in, names can go out. You see? They hold on to a false doctrine. And it's painful to see. It's painful to witness. You know why? Because truth, with no love of truth, truth becomes withheld from anybody. 
When there's no love of truth, truth becomes withheld. It's a form of judgment of the Lord. Having no love of the truth and strong delusion, a form of judgment. It's very important to make these distinctions. Oh, but they were really they, they were never really saved. Well, you look at Acts. Let's, let's turn to uh, 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 Luke, uh, the book of Luke, chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. So you have a person who has heard the word of God. Because in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. They receive the word with joy. So they hear the word and they receive the word. Automatically, this part of this verse obliterates Calvinism. Because they say the Holy Spirit makes a person receive these things. Grace is irresistible. Grace is irresistible. They conflate grace and the Spirit. So already you have impossibilities according to Calvinism, according to Reformed theory. Because you have a person who has heard the word and now they receive the word. And not just receive the word, they receive it with joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And now... We see a problem. These people who hear and receive the word with joy, they have no root. And then all of a sudden, who believe for a while. So their belief isn't until they die. Their belief is just five months, five years, ten years. I don't know. But it's not for the long haul. That is impossible, according to Reformed and Calvinist doctrine. Because people say, once saved, always saved. You see? Oh, they were really, they were really never a Christian. He was never a Christian. She was never a Christian. Yeah, they went to church and they professed the name of Jesus Christ. And yeah, they had, you know, certain works under the Lord. And yeah, they had evidence of certain fruits of the Lord. But... Look at her today. Look at him today. They were never really a Christian. That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theology, which are unbiblical doctrines. You know what happens? It's not that they were never saved. It's not that they never believed. We see verse 13 in action. They believed for a while. And in time of temptation, have fallen away. Luke chapter 8, verse 13, obliterates Calvinism, obliterates Reformed. But this is just one of many verses. One of many verses. You see? Remember, when we, were in, when we started the pastoral epistles, the, 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 the introduction to the pastoral epistles, there were some doctrines that cannot pass. Some doctrines that cannot pass 
because the formula, the doctrinal formula is wrong. And because the doctrinal formula is wrong, no entry. You see, the money preachers, replacement theology, Calvinism, reformed theology. Sorry. It's not sound doctrine. Doesn't line up, you know, Mormonism. Jehovah's Witness doesn't meet the, 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 the formula for sound doctrine. You see, once we meet the formula for sound doctrine, now we look at there's qualifications for doctrine. Now we look at the qualifications of the person, of the shepherd. You see, remember, package one, two, three, four, full package. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you. I don't say these things because, oh, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. No. I say these things to tell you, jump ship. Ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. Because the Calvinists today, the Reformed theory people today, the pastors, they're telling Christians, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You see? You submit to that pastor? You submit to the pastor that says that? You will burn in hell. That's what the Bible says. But even still, balls in your court. You see? Now, we see in verse 7, having been justified by his grace, rendered innocent by his grace, we should become heirs. I love this. Heirs, heirs of Abraham. Remember our study in Galatians and uh, Ephesians? Heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus, the family of God. You know what this word is in the Greek? It's kleronomos in the Greek. You know what this is? It's to inherit by lot. <laughs> it just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens. That's our study in the book of Joshua. Inheritance. Entry into the promised land. You see? We see the exact same thing here. In verse 7, that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Remember, one-on-one -on -one letter. This is Paul to Titus. This is a faithful saying, he says in verse 8. Trustworthy and true. And that's faithful saying. This saying is trustworthy and true, he says in verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. Constantly, nonstop. Speak, Titus. Speak, Titus. Speak, Titus. You don't have to go in with a baseball bat in your hand. No. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You have a spiritual arsenal. You have spiritual weapons. Which is just like we see in verse 2. Peaceability, gentleness, humility, weapons. And Paul says, affirm these things constantly, that those who have who have believed, who have believed in God, you know, this, you know, th this is so powerful when we understand, you know, that you know, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works or practice beautiful and virtuous deeds. This is not being hearers only, but also doers of the word. You see, 
those who have believed in God. It's not just, okay, I believe in Jesus, so you know what? Let's go do the crack. Let's go do the drugs. Let's go do the alcohol. Let's go gambling. Let's go to the casinos. No. There should be care taken in our lives, conduct becoming of the Lord. Remember the challenge in Leviticus? Our lives, the very essence of our beings, a sweet aroma unto the Lord, which is a choice. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. We can't make it for anybody. We can only make it for ourselves. Be careful to maintain good works. Oh, but we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. True. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Very true. But understand, faith without works is dead. You see? Belief without obedience is dead. What's the point in saying, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, if we're going to go do the drugs, the sex, the alcohol, the strippers, the Buddha, the occult, and the Ouija boards, and the yoga, and all kinds of different things, worship Mary. What's the point in saying, I believe in Jesus, if we're going to do those things? That's belief without obedience. And belief without obedience is dead. That's what Brother James says. Faith without works is dead. What's the point in belief? Remember, certain passages of the Bible where Old Testament and New Testament say it's better if you if you had never known. You're better off if you had never known. I mean, that kind of rocks rocks things to the core. What do you mean? It's better to have not known? Because faith without works is dead. Belief without obedience is dead. And to certain peoples, yes, it's better if you had never known the things of Christ and never known. Because now that you know and without obedience, that's not good. That's like when Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. That's in the body and expelled from the body of Christ. Red letters. Revelation 2 and 3. And we make these distinctions. And Paul is saying, when Titus is going to go and restore order, that affirm constantly that those who believe in God in verse 8 should be careful to maintain good works. Don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. Apply the word in your life. And that's what Paul is saying to Titus to affirm these things constantly. Tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. You read the word? Okay, now apply the word in your life. The Bible says X, Y, Z. Okay, now do X, Y, Z. The Bible says one, two, three. Okay, now do one, two, three. Apply it in our lives. 
Now, when the Bible says one, two, three, understand the covenants because if, if you know, Exodus, if Leviticus says one, two, three, does that mean, okay, we do one, two, three? No, we understand the covenants. Now, if you're listening for the first time, uh, 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 listen to our studies about Hebrew roots, Hebrew roots, because it's very important to under, because sometimes new believers, praise be to the Lord, they're new believers. And then they start reading like, you know, the things of the Torah and things of Old Testament. And they're like, okay, well, the Bible says this, so I got to do this now. Well, when you understand the covenants, you know that we abide in Jesus Christ. We abide in Jesus Christ because he's the fulfillment of the law. So if you're a new believer, a new listener, listen to those studies, you know, uh, Hebrew, uh, uh, thewayunderground.com and then go to the Hebrew roots section. And you'll, you'll see it, the, the studies are there. The, it's, it's there. It's archived for you so that you can listen and understand and grow and mature in Christ. Our study through Galatians. And so we continue in verse 8. These things are good and profitable to men. These things are good and profitable to men. Now, Calvinists, Reformed theology, they say, I believe in the Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ. That means I do have the Spirit of the Lord. But wait a second. Don't forget in the book of Acts, turn to Acts chapter 8 really quick. Don't forget in the book of Acts chapter 8, verse 12, in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, you have a group of people. It says in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, Philip was an evangelist going and sharing the good news. And these people, they believed Philip. As he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Very interesting. They were baptized. Praise the Lord, they were baptized. They believed in Jesus Christ when Philip came to town and proclaimed Jesus Christ and shared the good news as an evangelist. And, you know, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit that were given, that bestowed by the Lord unto Philip. And praise be to the Lord, you have a, 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 a brand new group of believers. Baptized. Men and women were baptized. In verse 13, Simon, then Simon himself also believed. This isn't Simon Peter. It's not Simon Peter. In verse 13, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So notice we have this group of people. They believed in Jesus Christ. They received Jesus Christ. They were baptized in Jesus Christ. Now, the Calvinist and the Reformed theory person, according to the doctrine of Calvin and Reformed theology, says the Holy, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes a person believe in Jesus. According to that doctrine, the Holy Spirit makes a person believe. So look what we have here. 
We have a group of Christians. They believe in Jesus. They're baptized, men and women. They're baptized. And, you know, you see Philip, he's an evangelist and he's sharing the good news and people are coming to Christ. Praise be to the Lord. And according to Calvinism and Reformed theology, the Holy Spirit makes people believe in Jesus Christ. You see? That's according to Calvinism. Oh, grace is irresistible. Grace is irresistible. And the Holy Spirit makes them Christians. That's according to the doctrine. But there's a problem with the doctrine in the Bible. There's a disconnect with Calvinism, Reformed theology, and the Word of God. Because the theory, the theology, Calvinism and Reform, says the Holy Spirit makes people believe. So here you have a group of Christians baptized in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria Samaria had received the word of God, see, accepted and taken in the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. What in the world? That they might receive the Holy Spirit. How is this possible? In verse 16, For as yet he, speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he had fallen upon none of them. What? They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. How is this possible? How is this possible? According to Reformed theology and Calvinism, which according to those doctrines, the Holy Spirit makes a person believe in Jesus Christ. But here you have believers in Jesus Christ, baptized in Jesus Christ, They don't have the Holy Spirit. You see? We have yet another passage which obliterates the theory of Calvin and Reformed. In verse 17, remember, speaking of Peter and John, they come to town. In verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You see? Praise be to the Lord. Except the Holy Spirit skipped one. The people received the Spirit, except for one. Simon. Not Simon Peter, the other Simon. You see? You say, wait a second, you're okay. So the Holy Spirit says, so if you're Calvinist or Reformed, you say, okay, you know, I'll concede, I'll concede that point. Simon, not Simon Peter, he's predestined for hell. Really? Look at verse 20. Verse 22. Repent. This is Peter speaking to Simon. Simon Peter speaking to the other Simon. He says, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Repent. Repent. That's why the Holy Spirit skipped, bypassed Simon. Because he was, in verse 23, poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Peter says, repent. So you have multiple things here. You have believers in Jesus Christ. They were back. I mean, 
the Holy Spirit was not in this group of Christians that believed in Jesus Christ, baptized in Jesus Christ. And that decision to believe and align to Jesus Christ was all done without the Spirit, which according to the doctrine of Calvin and Reform says that's impossible because the Holy Spirit makes you believe in Jesus. But we have it right here. They didn't have the Spirit. It obliterates the doctrine of Calvin and Reformed theory. And to stretch it even further, when the Holy Spirit, when the people did receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit skipped one. Simon. Why? Because in verse 21, his heart was not right in the sight of God. Notice, in verse 21, his heart was not right in the sight of God. Verse 22, wickedness and the thoughts of his heart. In verse 23, poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. That's verse 23. But notice, that's Simon, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. But don't forget, in verse 13, he believed and he was baptized. How is that possible? How is that possible according to Calvin and Reformed theory? You see, it doesn't fit Scripture. It does not fit Scripture. That's why the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. I'll put it another way. Translated from the Greek. Do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not extinguish the Spirit. It's very important to understand. Do you remember in our introduction to the pastoral epistles? There's the very basic entryway into the pastoral epistles. The the most basic entryway is sound doctrine. Once there's sound doctrine, okay, proceed. If there's no sound doctrine, okay, this is closed off. Because there are pastors who are the money preachers. There are pastors who are replacement theology. There are pastors who are the new apostolic reformation. There are pastors who are Calvinist. There are pastors who are reformed. There are pastors who are, uh, 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 the, the name it and claim it. The hirelings, those doctrines, it's they're closed off. There's that's a, that's a those are a lot of pastors. I mean, if you take all the pastors within those denominations and those theologies, you take all those pastors and just scratch them off as disqualified. You say, oh my goodness, that's, you know, how dare you do that? No, 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 no. How dare they do that? It's not how dare me. It's how dare they, how, how dare them. You see? 
sound doctrine. That's the very basic entryway for understanding the pastoral epistles. Because when I say the basic entryway of sound doctrine, it's not to say that the there's you know that the, the doctrine is basic, even though there are aspects of doctrine which are very basic, very easy, very simple, very very simple. The problem is that there are very few Bereans. That's the problem. Because according to certain doctrines, there are aspects of doctrine that become impossible according to doctrines. Because, the, 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 like, you take Reformed. The Holy Spirit makes you believe. Well, you look at Acts 8. You have people who believe in Jesus, they're baptized in Jesus, and all without the Spirit. You see? Do we hold on to Calvinism and Reformed theory and throw out the Bible? No way. It's the other way around. We hold on to the Bible and sound doctrine and say, okay, Calvinism Reformed, bye-bye. You see? That's what's standing firmly on the Word of God. Firm foundation. The cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is the Word of God and the Word became flesh. Because if you're Calvinist and Reformed, money preachers, replacement theology, grave soaking, whatever theory, and you read these passages of Titus 3, I mean, we see like, you know, uh, 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 in, in verse 4, but the kindness of the love, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, but the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, the Calvinists explain that. Reformed theology, replacement theology, grave soakers, new apostolic reformation, they have explanations for these passages. The problem is that their explanations are out of whack. It's not sound doctrine. You see? Just like we look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 makes Calvinism and Reformed theory impossible. You see? It makes it impossible. And so, when we continue, like we look at verse 8 in, in, in Titus 3, this is a faithful saying, and these, these things I want, to affir- I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And so... The Calvinist and Reformed, whom I love. If you're Calvinist and Reformed, I love you. But you're in danger. You're in harm's way. Why? Because of a theory that cannot hold water. The theory doesn't fit Scripture. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not extinguish the spirit. Oh, but the Holy Spirit makes me believe. The Holy Spirit makes me believe. Biblically, that's impossible. You see? 
Biblically, that is impossible. You know, a guy doesn't pull up to a lady and say, hey, get in the car, you're going to be my wife. A, a, a lady's walking on a sidewalk. A guy doesn't pull up and, you know, get out of his car, pick her up and throw her in the trunk and say, you're, you will be my wife. She has a choice to make. He can make his choice. But she has to make her choice. And when a guy meets a lady, he doesn't say, hey, will you marry me? You know, there's that, you know, let's get a burger, you know. <laughs> let's get a burger, you know. And, you know, the guy might like the lady even more. And the lady might say, you know what, this burger, it's a good burger. But you, no thanks. Or the lady can say, I like this hamburger and you, you know, I like you. And date number two, three, four, courtship. He says, will you marry me? She could say, no, thanks for the burger. I just wanted the steak and lobster. That's it. No more. Or she can say, yes. In, in, in this case, in both cases, with the guy and with the lady, the two made their choice. The guy says, I have chosen you. And the lady says, I have chosen you. See? That's... What about our marriage unto Christ? What about our marriage unto Christ? Where Jesus says, I have chosen you. Okay? Lord, I have chosen you as well. Yes, I will marry you. You see? And then comes the fidelity of the bride-to-be. The Lord is faithful. But there's the fidelity of the bride. You know, we are the bride of Christ, but that's a forward-looking statement. You know why? Because the marriage hasn't happened yet. The marriage is a pending matter. People say it all the time, oh, we're the bride of Christ, we're the bride of Christ. And yes, I, 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 I do acknowledge and affirm that, yes, we are the bride of Christ. But in affirming that, it's very, very forward-looking. Very forward-looking. Because officially, the wedding hasn't happened. It's, it's a future event, the wedding. You believe in Jesus Christ? It's the bride-to-be. You see? The bridegroom will return. Where is the faithful bride awaiting the return of the bridegroom? Just like Luke 8, remember? They believed for a while and in time of temptation fell away. Those are the foolish virgins. Believe for a while, short-term believer. Believe for a while. It's not for the long haul. They believe just for a little bit. Remember the ten virgins? Five are wise, five are foolish. How are five foolish? They run out of oil. These are very serious matters because 
You know, sometimes, oh, you always rail against the Calvinists. You always rail against the money preachers. You always rail against the hirelings. You always rail against the, the, the grave soakers. You always rail against the Catholics. You always rail against. It's not railing against. I guess in some regard there, there is that aspect of it, but. For the Calvinist, for the Reformist to say, hey, you're in danger. You're in danger with that theology, which is a theory. It's to say to the Catholic, you want to believe in Mary? You want to worship and pray to Mary and the angels? You're in danger. The new apostolic reformation, which happens to go grave soaking. You're in danger. Jump ship. You see? Turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29. This is Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus at the Miletus meeting, something that we reference quite a bit. And Paul says in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul's not boasting and saying, oh, I'm awesome when the wolf comes. The wolves don't come when I'm around because I'm awesome. Paul's not boasting. But he knows his stock. He knows his weaponry. He knows what he feeds. He's not boasting at all. He's just, just laying it out. I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, in verse 29 alone, for the wolf to enter the camp, that means that the overseers, something's wrong with them. Something's wrong with these overseers because the wolves have entry into the camp. This is after Paul's departure. When Paul's around, wolves don't enter. Because Paul, he kills kills wolves, metaphysically speaking. According to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Remember? And the demons say, you know, Jesus I know, D- Jesus we know, and, 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 and Paul we know, but who in the world are you guys? And so when Paul's around, the demons know, hey, don't mess with those sheep. Don't mess with Paul. Don't mess with those sheep because they're in good hands. You see? Don't mess with those sheep because they're in good hands. Paul's a shepherd, a faithful shepherd. So we can't get in. So now what do we do? Let's seduce. Let's seduce. Let's, you know, let's, let's say, you know, hey, you know, Satan's not going to seduce with a kick in the face. He's not going to say, hey, leave Christ and you walk with me and I'm going to kick you in the face every five minutes because no one will walk with him, but he'll dangle candy. Whatever shape, form, whatever that is, he'll dangle candy. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. But when Paul leaves, Instead of that seduction, now they enter. Now they're inside, not sparing the flock. What does that say of these shepherds and overseers? Something's out of whack with them, but it gets worse. In verse 30, also from among yourselves, now these 
shepherds. They transform into not being shepherds. And now harm comes to the flock from these former shepherds, former qualified shepherds. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So when Paul's around, that's not happening. When Paul's around, you know, the sheep are safe. When Paul's around, the overseers, you know, they learn. They, they learn, okay, this is the duty of the overseer. But when Paul leads, the sheep aren't safe and neither are the shepherds. The wolves enter, not sparing the flock. But on top of that, the shepherds become wolves. How? By rising up and speaking perverse things. To draw away the disciples after themselves instead of teaching Jesus Christ and wanting intimacy of the flock with Jesus Christ. They become, they want the attention. They want to be the influencers. Hey, you know what? Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me instead of follow me as I follow Christ. You see? And these are shepherds. In verse 31, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's what Paul would teach. Hey, be on watch, be on watch, be on watch. This is the threat. This is the threat. This is the threat. Satan's a fisherman. Satan's a fisherman. He's not going to seduce. He's not going to entice with, you know, a kick in the face. He's going to entice with candy. Everybody of the flock, be on guard. Everybody, the shepherds, be on guard. But then verse 29, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves, they're going to have their day. Is Paul boasting and all oh, look how awesome I am? No. But he knows his stock. He knows his fidelity unto the Lord. And his intimacy with the Lord. He's a dead guy. He says it himself. It is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, formula is very important. But not just that. Yes, there's that. In this same chapter, look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Whoa! What does that say about Calvinism and Reformed theology? It obliterates it. Because verse 28 is impossible. Impossible! Impossible, impossible, verse 28, according to Calvinism and Reformed theology. You see? So it was Acts chapter 8. Because according to Calvinism and Reformed theology, the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. You see? And according to Calvinism and Reformed theology, the Holy Spirit 
makes you go to heaven, makes you enter paradise. It's a sure thing. It's done. You know, once saved, always saved, according to Calvinism and Reformed theology. And that's why they say when somebody falls away, they're a short-term believer. What the Bible says, they're a short-term believer. The Calvinist and Reformed says he was never saved. She was never saved. That's why they say it. Because according to their doctrine, these passages become impossible. You see, that's why they say he was never saved. She was never saved. When biblically, the real answer is, yeah, they were saved. Yes, they did believe. You see, but they fell away. They were seduced away. You see, verse 28 becomes impossible. Because these Paul, remember, Paul says, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and then from among yourselves. They'll become the wolves. The shepherds will become wolves. How does that happen? Because they're going to speak perverse things and draw away the, draw away the disciples after themselves. But these shepherds, these overseers, in verse 28, the Holy Spirit made them overseers. So how is it that the Holy Spirit, according to Calvinism, makes a person believe, according to Calvinism, the Holy Spirit makes a person believe in Jesus because grace is irresistible? This is according to doctrine, according to uh, the false doctrine of Calvinism and Reformed theology. How is it possible? And not only that, these shepherds that the Holy Spirit made overseers. How is it that they become wolves? You see? Because Calvinism says, oh, they were never saved. If if, if they become wolves, if they're wolves, they were never saved. Wait a second. The Holy Spirit made them overseers in verse 28. You see, there's a disconnect with the doctrine. Whenever you hear people say, oh, he was never saved, she was never saved, you're talking to a Calvinist. You're talking to Reformed theology, which is unbiblical, which has no business in the pastoral epistles. Because it doesn't fit. When we're looking at, you know, the, 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 the full package formula, Titus and Timothy, we're talking sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. You see? And of these shepherds, these overseers, the Holy Spirit has made overseers in verse 28 to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with, with his own blood. You see? This becomes impossible according to Calvinism and Reformed theology. So how does that happen? If Reformed theology doesn't fit and Calvinism doesn't fit, what happened? They extinguished the Spirit of the Lord. They quenched the Spirit. To quench the Spirit translates as to extinguish the Spirit. 
which is impossible according to Calvinism. You see? Is a person to hold on to Calvinism and Reformed theology? No. Let go of that doctrine. Jump ship and welcome aboard. There is a better way. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. You see? That's sound doctrine. See? These are very serious issues, very serious subject matter. And you know, it's not to rail against the Calvinist. It's not to rail against them. Because Calvinism today, for such a time as this, because of the false theory of once saved, always saved, they're teaching the flock of God, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You will not lose your salvation because salvation cannot be lost according to Calvinism, which is a lie from the pit of hell. You have shepherds, overseers with the Holy Spirit. And in the course of time, they become wolves, speaking perverse things, drawing the flock of God away from the Lord. You see? Very serious issues. And today, you know, you have pastors, Calvinist pastors, Reformed theory pastors. And they say, well, you know, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. Now, I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God. God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign. But whenever you hear somebody say, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. You're probably talking to a Calvinist. Reformed Calvinism. Now, when somebody says God is sovereign, God is sovereign, he was never really saved, she was never really saved, you're not, you're probably talking to a Calvinist. No, you are talking to a Calvinist. Oh, I'm not Calvinist, I'm Reformed theology. Same thing. When somebody says, oh, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, oh, what's that? A guy who was in the church and, you know, now he's uh, uh, alcoholic, oh, he was never really a Christian. Oh, what's that? This guy was in the church and, you know, now he's uh, 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 with the prostitutes. Oh, he was never really a Christian. They're holding on to their doctrine, false doctrine. Instead of letting go of false doctrine and holding on to sound doctrine. The opposite is true. They hold on to the lie. You see? Well, then they say, well, explain yourself then. If that's what you want to believe, explain yourself because you say the Holy Spirit makes you believe. You say the Holy Spirit makes you believe. But the Bible, look, Luke, uh, uh, Acts chapter 8, we have believers without the Spirit. How is that possible? According to your doctrine, how is that possible? You see? Oh, the Holy Spirit, you know, it makes you believe, but then the Holy Spirit also, you know, he, uh, uh, he, 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 uh, 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 he, 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 he makes you enter the kingdom of God. 
Well, okay, these shepherds, they have the Holy Spirit, but then they turn into wolves. How is that possible? Oh, you can't lose your salvation. Okay, well, how is it that names are blotted out from the book of life? How does that happen? Oh, you know, God is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. His ways are so far beyond us. That's what they say. But don't forget, in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it says, the sovereign God does nothing. The sovereign, he does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants. That's what the Bible says. You see? They're admitting by their doctrine, they're admitting that they are not servants of the Lord. Oh, God is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. When they say that, they're admitting that they do not serve the Lord. Oh, but this teacher says it. This pastor says it. Look, he's got his books. He's got a whole bunch of books. He's very well respected. And this is a very strong ministry. That's a you know, strong according to the flesh. God is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. His ways are so far beyond us. They're admitting who they serve and it's not the Lord. Because the Bible, the word of God in Amos chapter three, verse seven says the sovereign Lord, the real sovereign Lord, the biblical sovereign Lord, not an idol, the real sovereign Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret, not to everybody, to his servants. You see? And I say this, if you're Calvinist and Reformed, I love you. But I say this so that you can jump ship, make a choice for yourself, for your soul. But for those who are listening who are not Calvinists, I say this to equip you and to train you and to teach you. Somebody says, you know, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. You're probably talking to a Calvinist. Somebody says, oh, he was never saved. She was never saved. Okay, you're not probably talking to a Calvinist. You are talking to a Calvinist. All you got to do is ask them point blank. Ask them these questions. That's it. Know who you're talking to and ask them these. You know, how is your theology possible, biblically possible? When people believe in Jesus without the Spirit. And then people who do have the Spirit, overseers, shepherds, they have the Spirit. How is it that they become wolves? How is it that names are blotted out of the book of life? According to your theory, oh, we can't fathom his ways. Whenever you hear somebody say, a Calvinist, when they say, we cannot fathom his ways, his ways are so far beyond us, he is sovereign, he is sovereign, we cannot fathom his ways, what they're doing is they're admitting by their doctrine that they do not serve the Lord. 
Because the Bible says that the sovereign Lord reveals his secrets to his servants. They're admitting by their own admission. You see? If you have a pastor who's reformed Calvinist, and you have the pastor that says that, the pastor says, oh, we cannot fathom his ways. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. The pastor is admitting and revealing that he does not serve the Lord. He is admitting that he is blind, deaf, and dumb. Idiotes in the Greek, without understanding. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you. You say to me, well, what do we do then? I get it. I understand. I get it. What do I do? You know what Jesus says? Leave. Leave. That's what he says. In Matthew 15, verse 14. Let them alone. Some translations say, leave. Leave them. Some translations say, leave, exclamation point. I kind of like that. Leave, exclamation point. Leave them alone. Let them alone. Matthew 15, verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. You see? They're leaders. And Jesus says they're blind. They cannot see. They are blind leaders of the blind, he says. And if the blind leads the blind, notice these blind leaders have followers. And if that happens, both will fall into a ditch. That's what Jesus says. So you hear me present this to you, my beloved Calvinist friend, my beloved Reformed friend. I love you. And you say, I get it, but what do I do? I don't want to fall into a ditch. I don't want to be blind. Then don't be. Because when you have a pastor that says all these things, oh, you can't be a believer unless the Spirit makes you a believer. It's entirely possible, according to Reformed and Calvinism. But the Bible says that's not true. Because you have Christians. They believe in Jesus, baptized in Jesus. But they have not the Spirit. The pastor is revealing by his doctrine that he is blind. You see, the pastor says, you know, once saved, always saved. You know, you have the spirit and that's it. The spirit makes you a Christian and the spirit, you know, ushers you to paradise. Well, how is it that wolves have the Holy Spirit then? In, in, in Acts 20, how is it that wolves have the Holy Spirit? Because shepherds become wolves. But these shepherds have the Holy Spirit. And once you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he makes you a Christian and he always, he's always there. How is that possible? 
Pastor? You see? Their doctrine becomes biblically impossible. It does not hold water next to sound doctrine. You ask the pastor. And then the pastor says, Oh, he is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. They're admitting that they do not serve the Lord. That's what they're doing. Because the Bible says the sovereign God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets. His sec- the secrets of the Lord. Whom people say, oh, we cannot fathom his ways. Well, the Lord says that he reveals them. The Bible says he reveals his secrets. Not to everybody. Only to his servants. You see? You leave. When the pastor, by their doctrine, reveals to be blind, don't follow. They reveal themselves by their doctrine. Then they start making up these excuses. Well, he was never really saved. She was never really saved. Well, the Bible says they fell away. He fell away. She fell away. He believed for a while. She believed for a while. Just as the Bible says. But when somebody says they were really, they were never really saved, you see, oh, they're predestined for hell. The Bible says, speak evil of no one. Because according to Calvinism, I was predestined for hell. According to Calvinism, you are predestined for hell. I mean, if you look at the our, our BC days, oh, but you have no choice in the matter. Because at the appointed time, God made you a Christian. Well, that's impossible. That's impossible. Oh, but he did it with Paul. No, he didn't. Paul made a choice. He presented a, 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 he, a proposition to Paul. Paul made a choice. Is it hard to kick against the goads? Now, you say that to an average Joe, and like, what are you talking about? You say that to a Pharisee? Whew. That's a big deal. see oh but the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian well what happened in Acts chapter 8 explain that they can't explain it according to their doctrine and I'm speaking to the Calvinist and reformed jump ship because we looked at Matthew 15 verse 14 but Matthew 15 verse 13 Jesus says Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. You see? Now, Matthew 13 verse 30 says those uprooted will be burned. You might ask me the question, are you saying that Calvinists and Reformed pastors are not of the Lord? By their own admission... By their own admission, they do not serve the Lord, the sovereign God. Oh, he is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. He is so beyond or his ways are not our ways. We cannot fathom. But the sovereign God says, no, I tell my secrets to my servants. Amos knew the secrets. 
Jeremiah knew the secrets. They knew formula. Isaiah knew the formula. Paul knew the formula. Titus, Timothy, they knew the formula. Chloe, Lydia, they knew the formula. No secrets with them. You see? That's intimacy. That's relationship. Now, you pose the question, are you saying that this Reformed pastor is not of the Lord? Number one, they reveal themselves. Number two, who is it? Who is it who would attempt to remove the penalty for taking the mark of the beast? I'll give you the answer. Servants of Satan. Servants of Satan who are not planted by the Almighty God who will be uprooted and burned. And I'll just echo the words of Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve. Do not follow the blind. You see? Jump ship. As Jesus says, jump ship. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, leave them. Let them alone. Leave them. Paraphrasing, jump ship. Easy. Which is a choice. Balls in your court. My beautiful Calvinist friend, balls in your court. You see? We're living in the last days. We are living in the last days. False doctrine. It's being exposed. But with no love of truth. One of the judgments of the Lord is strong delusion. You see, understand that judgment comes first to the church. Strong delusion. We see in verse 9 here, going back to Titus 3, in closing, in Titus 3, verse 9. Remember, this is Paul to Titus. But avoid foolish disputes. This is questions and disputes that are, that are more plots than inquiry. You see, more plot than inquiry, foolish disputes and, and, and questions. And Paul is saying to Titus, avoid these things. Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions or quarrels and strivings about the law or battles about the law. For they are, un, they are unprofitable and useless. You see, now I'll tell you what I do. I make the distinction between non-believer, new believer Rebel Rouser and Wolf. Those are kind of like the four categories. There's a little bit more. I mean, we can get into deep nuances, but those are the four basics. Non-believer, new believer, rebel rouser, and wolf. Because, you know, sometimes the non-believer has very valid and legitimate questions. And open book. New believer, very valid and legitimate questions. Okay, open book. Rebel rouser, someone who just wants to fight, 
Okay, no. Avoid foolish disputes. It's foolishness. Because you have a plot to the rebel rouser. There's a plot there. To the wolf. No, they have an agenda. You see? The first two for the non-believer and the new believer, they're babies. Even adolescents, even the mature, very, you know, to, to make these distinctions. Any and all questions, open book. To help, to grow, to mature, to, to, to equip and to, uh, to teach and to uh, teach how to fight. But then for the rebel rouser and the wolf, there's no engaging of debate. In a pastor capacity, no, kill the wolf. In a pastor capacity, kill the wolf. Now, sometimes on occasion, there are certain arenas where I am uh, invited um, to engage in certain conversations. And I will engage in those environments, but it's for a specific reason. It's not to convince the wolf. It's not to convince the rebel rouser. It's to win their students. Sometimes they're professors, theology school, seminaries. It's to win their students. You see? Lovers of truth. Remember when Paul says in, 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 in Titus uh, chapter two, in, in Titus chapter two, you know, speak. Don't don't shut up. Don't be quiet about these things. Speak. You don't have to go in with you know guns blazing. It's not a, you know you don't. Our fight isn't according to the flesh. Don't go in with guns blazing. Just speak. The lovers of truth, they will follow you. You see. People will choose for themselves. And so we see in verse 9, you know, to avoid these things, they are unprofitable and useless. In verse 10, reject a divisive man. Now this is ahiretikos. Ahiretikos in the Greek, where we get the word heretic. It's one who chooses to cause division. It's the source of division and separation and schisms. Now, is separation good or bad? Well, it's both. Because, you know, separation from Alexander and Hymenaeus, good. Separation from Titus, bad. You see, these distinctions must be made. We must understand sound doctrine. Because, yeah, you know, oh, you know, He's causing division. Paul is causing division. But why is he causing division? He told this guy he can't he, he can't be in the church anymore. How come? He's having sex with his dad's wife. Where well, there you go. Separation is warranted, needed, necessary, because that's leaven. You see? Okay, if separation is bad, then or if separation is good, then oh, okay, so this guy's gonna separate from okay, okay. So I'm with Paul. I'm with Paul. Okay, that's good. Paul's a pastor. Okay, yes, it's good to submit to Paul. Good. Oh, but what about Pastor Alexander, Pastor Hymenaeus? 
No, 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 no. Wrong formula. See, when you understand the formula, you understand the formula for pastor and you understand the formula for sheep. For shepherd and sheep. When you understand those formulas and the formulas for sanctuary and fellowship, when you make these distinctions, everything's beautiful. Because you'll know. I mean, and beautiful in terms of having that understanding. The sad part is, where in the world are you going to find it? Because it is rare. It is, <laughs> it is very rare. Very, very, very rare. And in these last days, it will grow even more rare. Because there's churches on every corner. Churches on every corner. Thousands and thousands and thousands of churches in any community. Hundreds and thousands of churches. You figure, wow, this is a nice Christian community. I can go to any church. But when you understand formula, you know, okay, she's not qualified. This guy who's on his fifth marriage, he's not qualified. This guy looks like he's qualified, but his wife is a crackhead. Disqualified. This guy looks like he's qualified, but his wife is alcoholic. You see? Disqualified. This guy looks like he's qualified, but his kids are having sex like crazy. Disqualified. You see? This guy looks like he's qualified, but then, you know, he teaches uh, Calvinism. He teaches Reformed. Okay, disqualified. This guy looks like he's qualified, but he teaches, you know, New Apostolic Reformation. This other guy looks like he's qualified, but he teaches Replacement Theology. Good old coalition. This other guy looks like he's qualified, but he teaches grave soaking. You see? This other guy looks like he's qualified, but he teaches, you know, money preachers. This other guy looks like he's qualified, but he teaches name it and claim it. You see, when you understand formula, then you know what to look for. And when you find it, stay. It's so beautiful. It's so, that's like straight up love feast. That's love feast. That, when you have that formula, understand, you know, in sanctuary, the formula, understand that within that sanctuary, you're going to have young, you're going to have old. Young believers, old believers. Now, I'm not talking about number like, you know, a 90-year-old guy or a 100-year-old lady. No, I'm talking about people who've been walking with the Lord for a long period of time. You're going to have old. You're going to have young. You're going to have mature. You're going to have babies. You're going to have deadly. You're going to see works of the flesh. You will see works of the flesh. But you'll also see works of the flesh mitigated by sound doctrine, godly correction. When you have that, so special it's so special very rare but when you have that we're talking not just love feast we're talking gifts of the spirit healings we're talking you know gifts of the spirit love being the greatest gift we're talking tongues interpretation prophecy healing prophet prophetess the gifts of the Spirit. Remember Agabus in the book of Acts? Where the famine was coming. The famine came and the church was okay. Why? Because there was a prophet. The Lord said, hey, the famine's coming. And in the church, the famine came, but the Christians were okay. The body caring for the body. Somebody in the body had the gift of prophecy. But people today say, 
Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore. Which is a lie. From the pit of hell, it's a lie. You will not find an expiration date on the gifts and the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit. You will find an expiration date on the Spirit in them. Why? Because they extinguish the Spirit. They quench the Spirit. You see? Just like the shepherds who became wolves, who extinguished the Spirit, so do they. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. Might not be for you today. Because you've extinguished the spirit. How dare you say that? God made me a Christian. Well, that's false doctrine. You see? People who say, oh, he was never really saved. She was never really saved. Well, let's, you know, let's, let's flip the coin. Maybe you were never really saved because of your doctrine. You think you're saved, but you're saved in a false doctrine. Maybe you're not really saved. You see? Oh, how dare you? Look, I have this study Bible. and Look how thick it is. Look how awesome I am. And I have this study Bible. Who wrote it? Oh, Mac. Okay. The guy who says, uh, take the mark of the beast, he'll still be saved. You see? Proof is in the pudding. We're talking heaven and hell. We're not talking, you know, a trip to Disneyland. We're not talking, you know, a trip to Universal Studios. We're not talking, you know, a, 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 a trip to the tropical island. We're talking heaven and hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth and paradise. You see? Choose this day whom you will serve. And so these distinctions must be made. Must be made. We're living in perilous times. And it's this is a walk in the park right now. It's going to get much worse. It's not even a walk in the park. It's like skipping through the lily field. It's, it's nothing. It's going to get so much worse. And already lamps are running out of oil. And so we see here in verse 10. That yes, reject a divisive man. Somebody who causes division. You say, well, Paul, Paul caused division. He says that the remnant needs to separate from the leaven. Yeah. That's the good division. That's the good division. Remember Jesus says, the Prince of Peace says, do not think that I came to bring peace. What? The Prince of Peace says, do not think I came to bring peace. That's what he says. He says, I came to divide. What? Now, understanding that framework, that he came to divide. When a person accepts and receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and commits their life to Jesus Christ in accordance to his word, the real Jesus Christ, whose word is above his name, Healing, healing comes. Joy comes. Peace comes. A person has peace in their heart, peace in their mind. But that doesn't come from false doctrine. It comes from the real Jesus Christ, whose word is above his name. 
You see, we must make these distinctions. And Paul says, reject in verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition or the first and second warning. That's pretty hardcore. A lot of saints whom I love, we need to understand this. You know, when, like when Paul cleans house, when Titus cleans house, when Timothy cleans house, don't forget Paul cleaned house through the aid of Chloe and those in her household. There's warning number one. Hey, cut it out. Warning number two. Hey, cut it out. Warning number three. There is no warning number three. It's bye-bye. You see, that's what the Bible teaches. Titus, a vessel of the Lord, only the clean can clean, and he's going to clean house. But there's a very specific framework and order of operations that is pleasing to the Lord. People say, you know, oh, you know, you... This guy's having sex like crazy. This lady's doing her drugs like crazy. This guy is doing a casino. And, you know, the pastor is so mean. The pastor's lost his mind. The pastor's crazy because he says don't fellowship anymore. It wasn't just, you know, like, hey, you know, I, 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 I saw you went to you. I saw you were, you know, drinking alcohol. So, boom, you're out of here. No, there's warnings and admonitions. Hey, what's up with the sex? What's up with the drugs? What's up with this? What's up with that? Cut it out. We're we're Christians. There's behavior becoming of a Christian. Okay, pastor. Okay, pastor. Okay, now you know a couple weeks pass. Okay, this is this is a warning. Consider this a warning, an admonition. This is unbecoming of a Christian. This behavior, it's unbecoming of a Christian. This is warning number one. Couple months go by, okay? This is warning number two. Couple weeks go by, okay? Listen, you cannot fellowship here anymore. I'm not saying that you're gonna burn in hell. I'm not saying that you know that that, that you know I, I hate you. But now, for Christians to bear your burdens which the Bible says Jesus wants us to bear one another's burdens. But for the flock of God to bear these burdens that you are bringing into the fellowship, now you are dangerous. So I'm sorry. I love you. I wish you would change your ways. But as it stands right now, I'm sorry. This fellowship is not for you. You want to be Divisive in this manner, divisive in that manner. There was a period of correction. There was the warning. There was the second warning. But I'm sorry. Then these people, oh, he's so mean, he's so mean, he's so mean, he's so mean, he's crazy, he's crazy, he's crazy. We have blueprints. We have blueprints. 
Who understands the blueprints? Oh, but this pastor says it's okay. This pastor, okay. Let him tickle your ears. Let him tickle your ears. Because there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women who love to tickle ears. But you know what? Hello, like a fire. That door is open. You see? There are thousands and hundreds and thousands and millions of people who would love to tickle ears and love tickling ears. But they're disqualified. Doctrinally speaking, they're disqualified. Oh, I'm with Alexander. He's got the mega church. I'm with Jimenez. He's got the mega church. You know what? You and me, we're with Titus. Tiny church. You see? We're with Titus. Tiny church. You're female? Oh, I'm with Chloe. Home fellowship. Females. I'm with Chloe. You see? It's not warning number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, a million. You know, there's that correction. Okay, then nothing's heated. Okay, warning number one. Nothing's heated. Okay, warning number two. Nothing's heated. Okay, there is no warning number three. It's bye bye. Now, I don't say that loosely because there's pain with that. That's painful. But it's self-inflicted. God's house must be kept clean. I mean, when Paul says, you know, in, in, in Acts 20, in verse 31, when he says, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul's not just saying, okay, warning number one, warning number two, warning number three, bye-bye. I mean, he is saying, you know, warning one, warning two, number warning three, bye-bye, but that's painful. It's painful. And not pain that one brings, on, that, that Paul has brought to himself. It's not pain that Titus brings to himself. It's not pain that Chloe brings to herself, not as overseer, but as you know, a, a teacher. It is pain unto Paul, pain unto Titus, pain unto Timothy that a person has brought upon themselves. You see? Remember our study in Thessalonians? It's not to say, okay, you know, this fellowship isn't for you and, you know, I'm not calling you a non-believer. You know, you... You believe in Jesus Christ, but because there's no obedience to Jesus Christ, because there's no obedience to him, now you force me to make my choice as overseer, as pastor. You see? Where Paul says, okay, Corinthians, you force me to make my choice. You had your choice, now you're you by your own choice. You're forcing me to make my choice as overseer, called by the Lord, the Lord called me to serve him in this capacity and to perform these duties in serving the Lord in this capacity to be 
quiet about it, to not say anything about it, to be accepting of it, carnality, I'm disobedient to the Lord and that's not happening. In being obedient to the Lord, we got to keep the house of God clean. So now, Corinthians, remnant, separate from the leaven. You see? And don't forget, just like he says in, in Acts 20, verse 31, for three years, Paul didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I mean, Paul knows his duties. He knows his responsibilities unto the Lord. He knows that separation will happen. But that comes with pain. That comes with a whole lot of hurt. But he needs to be obedient. Titus needs to be obedient. When Paul is writing this letter to Titus, he's writing from a perspective of experience. You see? He's done it. Paul has cleaned house in obedience to the Lord. And Titus is going to clean house in obedience to the Lord. And Paul is equipping him through his own experiences. You see? And so we see in verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person, the divisive one, is warped or twisted and perverted and sinning, being self-condemned. You see? It's by their own choice. It's self-inflicted. Remember, Titus is the full package. No hypocrisy, no plaints in his eyes. Qualified shepherds do this. You're not going to find a mega church. You will find tiny church, little church. But you're not going to find a mega church. You see? And it's this is formula, a letter that Paul has written. Pastor Paul has written to Pastor Titus. Paul to Titus. The Lord leaked these letters so that you and I, we can know who is qualified. Who is it that we submit to? Because like, say we're in a church, say you and me are in a church today. And you know, uh, guys having sex like crazy, ladies having sex like crazy, Buddha worshiping Mary and all these. And all of a sudden the pastor says, listen, this fellowship isn't for you. I mean, not to us, but I mean, like say you and we're, we're in a fellowship and then the pastor says, listen, you know, you do your sex. Okay. But this fellowship isn't for you. You know, your kids, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Okay. Listen, you know, teach them well, teach them well, because if you don't teach, if you don't do this, then you're going to force my hand. You're going to force my decision in, in honoring the Lord and being obedient to the Lord. You see, your abdication is not going to be my abdication. If you want to choose to abdicate your responsibilities, that's on you. But I'm not going to do that. You see, in service unto the Lord. 
You want to worship Mary? Listen, okay. Warning, don't do that. Warning number one. You want to worship Mary and then start bringing Mary into, you know, start teaching others to do Mary too? You know, don't do that. Warning number two. You still want to do Mary? Okay, bye-bye. This fellowship isn't for you. We're not Catholic. Catholicism isn't biblical Christianity. Now, if you're Catholic, I love you, but come out of her, my people. You see? There's one way. One way. Only one. His name is Jesus Christ. And so you and I were in that fellowship. And for a while, it was like, wow, you know, I, I want to bear burdens, but this guy is sex head. This lady's crazy, this, you know, alcoholic. And I want to bear burdens, but it's very difficult. And the Bible says we should bear burdens. And I look at you, you look at me, and we bear our burdens. We bear one another's burdens. But for the body, like, it's not safe to. And the qualified shepherd... He sees this and he knows it. There's always the door for grace and mercy. Always, 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 always. But then when lessons are not heeded, when teaching is not heeded, when equipping is not heeded, there's warning one, warning two, and there is no warning three. Now it's okay, this fellowship isn't for you. You see, there's ear ticklers everywhere. But as for this fellowship, it's not for you. And it's it's not like a, a, a blanket statement like, okay, you know, I don't like you because you're chubby. No. It's not even to say, I don't like you. It's to say, I love you. This is painful. It hurts. It is devastating. But I love the Lord more. You see? And your disobedience, I love you, but it's not going to be the source of my disobedience. You choose disobedience, okay? As for me and my house, I choose obedience. And the pastor says, okay, now you're forcing my hand in obedience to the Lord because his house must be kept clean. And so people leave. Oh, he's so mean. He's so mean. He's so hateful. Look, he doesn't want me to fellowship there anymore. He doesn't want me to fellowship anymore. Well, how come? Well, you know, let's let's put aside that I'm a sex head. Let's put aside that I'm a crackhead, that I do my alcohol, I worship Mary. Let's put that aside. But he's so mean, he's so mean. We have the blue, the blue, this is nothing new. I mean, the Bible's been, we've had the Bible for a while now. This is nothing new. Nothing new at all. But where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? To pastor, to shepherd, to teach, to pour into. So there's that example. You and me were new to a church where before we would bear, you know, between you and me, we would bear our burdens because we thought, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's dangerous to 
this lady, she's nice and everything, but she's always talking about the Virgin Mary. You see, this guy, he's nice, but he, he's got those eyes, you know, those, you know, shifty eyes. And this, you know, he, he's always talking about sex and always talking about this. And it's like, okay, well, it's difficult to bear burdens, but the Bible says we got to bear burdens. And so the problem when God's house isn't kept clean, the problem is when people bear burdens, but you're bearing burdens with leaven. And that's very dangerous because the leaven spreads. Just like a loaf of bread. You see like a, a, a mold on a loaf of bread? But you throw, you take the loaf and you throw it out. You see? Or you take the remnant, you know, okay, you know, and half the loaf, okay, this half, then the moldy half, you know, you take the remnant. But then the remnant, there's a process for cleansing. Remember, remember in Corinthians? Do I praise you in this? No, I do not. Do I praise you in that? No, I do not. There was still the tap, tap, double tap. Not the carnal double tap, the spiritual double tap. <laughs> you see? And so you and me in that environment, we knew that, wow, it was very difficult to bear burdens. And we, it was like borderline, we cannot bear these burdens. And these are things that the pastor, the shepherd was fully aware of. But the door of mercy and grace was always open. Now, okay, heed these instructions, heed these teachings, but you you made the choice to not do that? Okay, warning number one, warning number two, warning number three, there is no warning number three. Now it's, I'm sorry. I don't count you as a non-believer, but this fellowship is not for you. Outside the camp. That's what the faithful shepherd does. Now you and me, we're in that church and we kind of exhale. Wow. Now it's safe for us to bear burdens. Oh, I've never, I've never met this lady before. She was always drowned out by the other rebel rousers. I've never met her. This other guy, wow, what a sweet guy. I've never, never met him before. He was always drowned out. The lady was always talking about Mary, you know, and this guy was a sex head and he was, I've never met this lady because this guy was always, you know, like always around her, you know, always talking about his sex and all, whatever. And now that the leaven is gone, it's like, wow. Look at this old guy. I never met this sweet old man before. Look at this kid. I've never met her before. Now you see within the fellowship, tiny church. Now it's safe for you and me to bear burdens because the house of God is kept clean. You see? And the Lord knows. The Lord sees. You see? Then you start to see gifts of the Spirit multiply. The greatest gift being love, but then you start to see the gift of prophecy. The gift of tongues. The gift of interpretation. Always in order. Always in order. I mean, you go to church, you see 500 people in the church and 500 people speaking tongues out of order. There's a specific blueprint, very specific blueprints for the gifts of the Spirit. If you're you know, wondering, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand more. All the resources, again, thewayunderground.com. All the re- You're Catholic? Go there. You're Reformed? Calvinist? Go there. 
You want to learn about the Holy Spirit? Go there. Everything is it's laid out. The house of God is kept clean. You see? And so we see in verse 12, in closing, Titus 3, verse 12. Remember, this is Paul's letter. When I sent Artemis to you, or Tychicus, we have Tychicus again. Remember, we studied Tychicus. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, tiny bubble of Paul. Be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now you say, wait a second. I thought he was. this was a prison letter. Now, when you look at the time frame, Paul is held captive. But in his captivity, there are certain flexibilities, we'll say. Now, one could argue, well, you know, Paul was a good schmoozer, but I reject that. God's grace. God's grace unto Paul. Remember verse 2, to be peaceable and gentle and humble and meek. Remember verse 2? Do you remember our study, if you've been walking with us for a while, our study in the book of Acts when Paul was in captivity? And it was almost like his captivity where it was like a, 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 a like a home captivity, like, you know, like a, a like a home prison. Like you know, a home prison, it sounds weird, but it's almost like, you know, uh, 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 held captive, but like in a home environment. Well, very a lot of similarities with Rome as well, where it was like a home captivity, where there were certain flexibilities. And when you re- remember our study in the book of Acts, where it was very awkward because it's like he's in captivity, but yet he had visitation rights. You know, he can he could visit. You know, he had visitors come to him. And when you see him in his conversation with the leaders, the ones who had him in prison, it's like a friendly encounter. It's like. It's not unfriendly at all. Remember when, the, you know, the, the he, like, you know, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul kind of like laughed about it. Yes, you know, you know, even more so, I want you to be like me, but even more, be, even better than me. Well, except for these chains. It was like, it was, a. it's kind of weird. According to the flesh, it's a weird interchange because it's like, Paul is in chains, you know. Paul is in house arrest and, and he has certain flexibilities, but yet he behaves as though they're his friends. Remember the Philippian jailer? The Philippian jailer was going to commit suicide. Paul says, no, don't do that. I mean, carnally speaking, the guy has him in jail, put him in stocks, the guy's going to commit suicide. What do I care if he's going to commit suicide? You know, good riddance. That's according to the flesh. That's the flesh. Good riddance. He put these stocks on me and they're tight and it hurts and my ankles are bleeding and my wrists are bleeding and he wants to commit suicide. Good riddance. What does Paul say? Don't do that. See that you don't do that. It's so weird. I mean, carnally speaking, it's just counterintuitive. It's awkward because it's like, the jailer has him in jail and he's like nice to him. He's speaking to the leaders and he's like nice to them. Remember, it's like, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You know, it's like, like weird, like they're having a conversation. And Paul says, you know, 
I wish that were the case, even better than me, except for these chains. There are certain flexibilities. You could say, well, Paul was a schmoozer. No, 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 no. He's peaceable. He's gentle. He's meek. He's humble. And in his arsenal, those are weapons. And they're used. And in using these weapons of warfare, God is showing even further grace. You see? Yeah. You're under arrest, but house arrest. You see? It's when you see Paul in these moments of infliction, it's just oh some carnally speaking, there's a weirdness to it. But spiritually speaking, it's glorious, it's beautiful. Just like just like Stephen. Carnally speaking, he's saying, Father, forgive them. Carnally speaking, it's like, what? They're throwing stones at him. And carnally speaking, it's like, what? Father, forgive them? But spiritually speaking, it's beautiful and glorious. What about Jesus on the cross? When he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And carnally speaking, it's like, what? And yet that is exactly what he said. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Do not hold this against them. You see? It's so, it's so powerful. And these are things, when I was a non-believer, when I was a baby Christian, I didn't understand it. I, I hated Stephen when I was a young Christian. I didn't like him. I thought he was the biggest weakling. Like, why didn't he, his friends, his the, the people in his circle, why didn't they fight back? I thought it was so stupid, I was mad at it. But today, I think the opposite. I say it was shame that I was mad at it. Today, I see Stephen as a valiant warrior. Paul, a valiant warrior. Remember the, the women in the book of Hebrews held captive and didn't want their freedom on account of, because, you know, on account of them in, in Hebrews 13. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews 13 or Hebrews 12 or actually Hebrews 11, <laughs> Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11. Verse 35, women received their de- women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, to the point of death. Held captive and tortured. You have the opportunity to be free. And they rejected. They did not accept, accept deliverance. Why? That they might obtain a better resurrection. Think of the early saints, the early, early Christians. Who is Lord? Now, there are a group that said Caesar is Lord. They have their tomorrows and hopefully they learn not to 
forsake the name of the Lord. But I'm speaking of a peculiar people, a unique people, who said, I'm not going to deny the name of the Lord. He is my king. And the Roman says, who is Lord? They say, Jesus is Lord. Think of the men, women, and children who were tortured. You see? Sexually abused. Look at verse 36 in Hebrews 11. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, sometimes you hear people say, and I've heard it, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, which is stupid. You walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, not wishy-washy, hardcore. You are no earthly good because the world is not worthy of you. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Picture these people of old, men and women, young and old. These are my heroes. Sawn in two. What? Tortured. That's what happens with God's people. Because Satan knows I got to kill him. I got to kill her. They're not they're not going to deny the Lord. Okay, I'm going to kill him. Satan knows. You see? You read Fox's book of martyrs. The torture of Christians at the hand of the Catholic Church. Fox's Book of Martyrs. You read historical accounts from Geneva. John Calvin's Geneva. Torture of Christians. Torture. Death, hanging, burning at the stake. What the Catholic Church did to Christians, to the pregnant women. What they did to babies in the womb. Very difficult to read. But that's what that's what happens. Because Satan knows this person isn't gonna deny the Lord, okay? I'm gonna make her deny the Lord. I'm gonna make him deny the Lord. And still, that's that beautiful stubbornness, not the carnal stubbornness, the beautiful stubbornness. I am not going to deny my Lord. You see? And so we see this, this beauty that 
surrounds us so great a cloud of women in chapter hebrews 12 verse 1 therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see? And that's the peculiar people, a people of the way, a people of Jesus. White, black, chubby, skinny, super skinny, super chubby, crippled, old, young, rich, poor, Business people, nerds, you know, athletes, the computer geeks, everybody. Our commonality is nothing of this world. It's Jesus Christ. And so we see in verse 13, send Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste. You see, the peculiar people, look, you got Zenus, a lawyer. You take a lawyer and a fisherman, like Peter. You put Zenus and Peter together. Of the flesh, they have no commonality. You know, fishermen, that's not like high-class society. That's kind of like, you know, like, yeah, like yeah, blue-collar, so to speak. But then you take the lawyer, white-collar, According to the flesh, they have no business being together. According to the Spirit, brothers, brothers in the Lord. Zenos, Apollos, Peter, Paul, Titus, Chloe, Lydia. Peculiar. I mean, even in the early church, you know, former prostitutes, former tax collectors, you see, lawyers. I mean, look at who you have. Blue collar, white collar, rich, poor, young, old, a former prostitute. And so we see, send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. You see? Now, this is so beautiful. When you see commonality, who is Jesus Christ? whose word is above his name. That's so special. And it will grow even more rare in the last days. You see? But it's so beautiful nonetheless. In closing, let's look at verse 14. Now, understand, you know, Paul's not stopping. Paul's not stopping. He's, he, these are prison letters that he's writing to the pastors. Timothy and Titus, and the fight continues through those that he poured into, and he's still pouring to the last drop. You see, Titus is going to restore order, not carnally. He's going to restore order biblically. He is equipped, and he will speak, and people will choose for themselves. Some people might say, Titus is crazy. He's lost his mind. Other people might say, I'm with Titus. I'm a Berean with a noble heart. I see what the Bible says, I hear what Titus says, and there's alignment. I'm with Titus. And don't forget, in Titus 1 verse 5, 
Titus is going to appoint elders and overseers. He understands formula. He knows all about formula. And he says in verse 14, Paul to Titus, and let our people also learn to maintain good works. You see? Now, verse 1, you know, in, in verse 1 of this chapter, you know, there's good works for the saints. But when he references our people here, it's also for the overseer to lead by example. Remember, he's going in, in, in chapter 1, verse 5, he's going to appoint elders. It's not that, okay, look, I'm elder. Oh, Titus came to town and I am elder. I am awesome. No, it's to say of the elders, lead by example. You teach the people to maintain good works and you yourself do good works. You see? Not to be a hypocrite, to lead by example. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs. Yeah, this is going to arise in any church. Needs that arise in the body. And they're going to vary. But don't forget, in the pastoral epistles, we see like, you know, you're going to have the rich, you're going to have the poor, you're going to have, you know, there's rules and, you know, exhortations for uh, 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 workers for the employees and for employers and the bosses and managers and the workers and then there's you know the the widows and those who are really widows you see very specific blueprints the body caring for the body that they may not be unfruitful look at this beautiful endeavor of establishing order very specific blueprints Conduct of the saints, yielding to the word of God in the spirit, the body caring for the body in the fruit of the spirit. Look at how beautiful this is. Do you remember last week in chapter two when we just took a pause for a moment and just to examine the sheer beauty of a beautiful church under the framework of holy formula? But we do the same even here in this holy endeavor of establishing order. I have something to say to the faithful shepherd in these last days. The biblically qualified, full package. To the faithful shepherd in these last days as an exhortation and words of comfort unto you, my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful brother. Your church, it will get smaller. And those you love will hate you. Satan will seduce very powerfully because he knows his time is short. People will not only hate you, they'll leave you. The constant, 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 constant state and condition of your heart, it's going to be brokenness. But in that, my beautiful brother, faithful shepherd of the Lord, rejoice. Because it's the very heart of God. Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to Him. Don't stop. 
press forward. Advance in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Advance. And for the name of our Lord Jesus, advance to fight the good fight. You see, much of our study comes from the perspective of sheep unto shepherds, so that you and I, so that we know the formula, who is biblically qualified, so that you and I, we know who to submit ourselves to. But for the faithful, qualified shepherd, these words of comfort unto you. Be a covering for those in your church. A godly covering. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful godly covering for those in your church. Because they're in your church. But it's the flock of the Most High. It's His people. Pour into them. Be a drink offering to the last drop. Because you know what? Your reward cannot be found in this world. But it awaits you to the very, very end. Stay faithful. Death has no sting, nor victory. Fight the good fight, my beautiful brother, faithful shepherd of the Most High. In closing, we see verse 15. All those, all who are with me, greet you. Embrace you. So it translates, embrace you. I love that. Unity of the body of Christ. Family. Koinonia. Real family. Not, you know, we all have biological family, but I'm talking spirit family. I'm talking heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Family. All who are with me greet you, embrace you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Embrace those who love us in the faith. Now, understand, this is 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. Separation has already, you know, it, 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 it was already happening. You know, people were, you know, you know, Titus comes to town and, you know, speaks. He's not quiet about things. He doesn't shut up about things. He's speaking and People can say all they want. Oh, Paul is so stupid. Titus is so stupid. Timothy is so stupid. We love him, Aeneas. We love Alexander. Paul, Titus, Timothy, they're so mean. They're so mean. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. But the lovers of truth, the Bereans with a noble heart, they know. Remember Onesiphorus? I'm so in love with him. Onesiphorus. You see? He wasn't ashamed of Paul. People were leaving Paul in droves. Pastors, this, uh, the, 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 the saints in Asia, the, the, the pastors, the elders. Oh, Paul's so stupid. Paul's so stupid. And look, he's in prison. Good riddance. Onesiphorus? You're like, what? I love Paul. What's wrong with him? Oh, he's so mean. How is he mean? He causes division. How? He wasn't ashamed of Paul. 
And Paul says, greet those who love us in the faith. You see, tiny bubble. A remnant on her way to paradise. And he says, grace be with you all. Remember, one-on-one letter. And Paul sends his blessings through Titus to the saints. Grace be with you all. Amen. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.